As far as I'm concerned, Brent Venables has two more seasons to make his pitch to Sooner Nation. Is he the right guy or not? I hope so. Been saying that since he was hired. And like many of you, I expected his first Oklahoma team to be much better in year one. But that's the problem. It's unacceptable that Oklahoma finished the 2022 season six and seven. That roster should have won eight games at a minimum, like worst case scenario type stuff. Okay, well, actually, you know, scratch that. Worst case scenario would have been something like a winless Oklahoma team because the worst case scenario would have been an injured Dylan Gabriel in week one, resulting in the Sooners having to play games with Davis Bevel, General Booty, and or Nick Evers behind center. You hear those names, and it makes Iowa's quarterback room sound promising. But back to reality. Yes, Dylan Gabriel missed a game and a half, but... He was healthy for the other 11 and a half contests, and Oklahoma only managed six wins. Again, unacceptable, especially with a roster more talented than nearly every single school in the Big 12, save for maybe Texas. For a first-time head coach, Venables checked basically every single box. Tons of experience as a defensive coordinator, and not just any defensive coordinator. Venables has been possibly the best defensive coordinator in college football for the last decade. He's a winner at Oklahoma, and then obviously at Clemson, multiple national titles, excellent recruiter, well-liked and well-respected all around college football. On paper, it was a home run hire. That's why we were all so excited. But I did have one question. Could Brent Venables coach as the head coach on game day? Turns out the answer was yes and no, mostly no. On the yes, the Sooners routinely looked ready to go in the first half of games. In fact, Oklahoma led at the half nine times in 2022, yet finished six and seven. To put that into perspective, the 2021 OU team, Lincoln Riley's final season, we all remember that team went 11 and two. Sure, it was an incredibly frustrating 11 and two, but they still won 11 games. Yeah, so last year's Oklahoma team had more halftime leads than the 2021 team and still won five fewer games. Okay, that may have been confusing, so I'll try to simplify it. In 2021, OU led at halftime eight times and went on to win 11 games. In 2022, last year, OU led at halftime nine times and went on to win only six games. Can OU learn how to play a full 60 minutes in 2023? And more precisely, can Brent Venables learn how to coach for a full 60 minutes? And I think a large part of that will be whether or not he reigns in Jeff Lebby and that lightning-fast offensive scheme. There's a time and place for tempo, but in order to be a legitimate championship-caliber football team, tempo cannot be your identity on offense. Will Jeff Lebby tweak a system? And if he does, what does that mean for Oklahoma's offense? And then there's what Venables knows best, defense. There was a stretch in the latter half of the season where it looked like the OU defense had it figured out somewhat. But a poor second-half performance against Baylor and an all-around putrid effort at Texas Tech washed away what seemed like progress. Even in the Cheez-It Bowl against Florida State, OU stayed true to what they had been most of the year. Good in the first half, bad in the second. The Seminoles scored on four of their final five drives in that game, going on to win it 35-32. It's reasonable to expect the defense to be better this year, but who knows how much better that'll be. 
the way I see it, Venables has this season and then next season to prove to us that he's the guy. My reasoning, well, even if year two is shaky, you can't fire a guy right before you move to the SEC, right? And more importantly, Venables and his staff have been terrific on the recruiting trail, which certainly is a sign of hope. But if 2023 is shaky and then season one in the SEC is embarrassing, how much more will we need to see? If you haven't caught on yet, I'm quite skeptical about Oklahoma in 2023 and Brent Venables long-term in Norman. So let's all hope that my feelings on this issue are just as wrong as my countless predictions about Jalen Hurts over the last one to two years. It's quite possible that I have no idea what I'm talking about. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Lindsey's pass is going to be picked off at OU's Mike Woods. Nothing but touchdown. 43 yards and a two-game win streak by Oklahoma State is now history. November 27th, 1999. Mike Woods puts the exclamation point on a blowout bedlam win, taking the errant Tony Lindsey pass. 43 yards the other way for a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma wins 44-7, closing out the regular season with a 7-4 record. I know it's been more than six months, but we are back. I am Lee Benson. This is West of Everest, and joining me as always is Grant Benson. Grant, welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. I actually can't believe I'm about to say this, Lee, but this college football offseason flew by. It went by really fast. We are less than two I, weeks from kickoff. I agree. I agree. I, it really did. I no longer, as a lot of you probably remember, I no longer work at News 9 in Oklahoma City, so I'm not on the, you know, daily involved in sports. I'm not daily involved with you know, covering OU in spring and in fall. So uh, I bring that up to point out that this is the first time post-college that I have not really been involved in sports every single day. And I think that has sped things up for me. Like I, I don't I don't, I'm not as dialed in to a lot of it as I used to be on a day-to-day basis. And for whatever reason, I think that also, that factored in. That's, I mean, this, like you said, this summer has absolutely flown by. And listen back to this podcast from when we first started in 2017, around this time, you know, August, kind of late August 2017, you and I, we've always been people that are, you know, we complain about the long offseason and it takes forever for football to get here and once football gets here the season's way too short which I still think the season's too short the season always flies by but I don't know what it is now I don't, maybe it's just old old guy old man stuff but as now like the, the offseason does it goes by a lot faster to me it does I mean you got uh coming adults you get into your 30s you got a lot more stuff going on a lot more adulting as they say um, and then there's just, there's just kind of more stuff for, you know, to, to, to take up your time and, and your, and, and your headspace. And so I've had a pretty busy summer. And so you're right, man. It's just, it has absolutely flown by. I, it still feels like it was June just yesterday. And now we're, I mean, man, we're, we're six days from week zero where they're going to kick off. So we're, we're recording yeah. this on, on Sunday. And, uh, I mean, we're there. I think they already, they already broke fall camp and they are starting Arkansas state prep this week. That's crazy. So uh, just real quick, I, I wanted to go back to, you know, we played the opening, uh, opening take and then the intro. I, you know, I wanted to use a positive defensive intro from back when Brent Venables was fresh on the OU coaching staff right there. 
uh, just to kind of hopefully set the tone for a much better season defensively. So hopefully everyone out there enjoyed that old school uh, bedlam pick six uh, because Grant, I mean, the defense has got to get better. So I, I mean, we'll talk about it obviously as the show goes on, as the season goes on. Uh, where I want to begin today, though, is that you know it's been a long time since you and I have had a podcast. We really appreciate those of you who are fans of the show, have been listening for a long time, and have asked us on Twitter, Facebook, "Hey, when are you guys coming back?" Uh, so the fact that people actually want to still hear what we have to say is great. So thank you for you know bearing with us. Uh, and so since it's been so long, there's a ton of topics, a lot of things that we obviously haven't talked about or commented on. I mean, it's been, what, six, six plus months or so. I mean, our last show was, I think, February, like early February. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that have happened. So who knows? I mean, it's impossible to, to cover everything. Uh, we'll get to some of your Facebook comments later in the show. I know some of you all, uh, I, you know, I asked, hey, like, what's, you know, what do you most want to hear about since you haven't heard from us in a while? And so we'll get to some of those. Here's where I want to begin, though, just to kind of get the ball rolling. Oklahoma's current season win total is set at nine and a half. That's according to DraftKings. And the under is a minus 120 favorite. So uh, in order to, uh, you know, if you think OU's going to be under nine and a half, you're actually like you got to put up, you know, a dollar 20 to win a dollar. Uh, so it's the, the under is favored. Now, you may recall last year at this time, Oklahoma's season win total was also nine and a half. And Grant, you and I, we both love the over <laughs> at this time last year for, uh, for OU, and we were both dead wrong about that. So to begin the show today, I want us to give our current thoughts on what we think OU will be this season with the added context that oddsmakers have set an expectation that the Sooners should win anywhere from, let's say, eight to ten games this season. You know, it's set at nine and a half, so you know, right around the ballpark, I'll say eight to ten games is the expectation. Now, where are you right now with Oklahoma? And I'll let you, you, you can reply to that. Uh, you can answer that question. You can comment about my opening take. Kind of take that wherever you'd like to go. Well, I've kind of, uh, it's, it's been an off season of peaks and val- valleys for me of, of how I felt about the team. Um, if you would have checked in with me about a month or so ago, um, I was feeling much more skeptical, probably much more kind of what your attitude was in the opening take of, Man, I just I just don't know. I saw so much last year that gives me pause, that leaves me scratching my head, that leaves me concerned, where I'm not exactly sure that you can sort of sprinkle magic fairy dust all over this and make it that much better just in one off season. Um, but as we gotten closer to the season, hey, it's just it's the same old Grant, right? Kind of starting to talk yourself into and it's you know, you, you can find angles where you can logically make sense or hey, I think they might actually be pretty good this year. But um, that's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question to say, like, what, what do I feel about the nine and a half number right now? If you had to put a gun to my head right now, I would slightly favor the under at this point in time. Um, basically, I think nine and three is probably their most likely record that they have in the regular season this year. I just saw way too much iffiness last year for me to think that all of that is going to be uh, corrected just in one off season. Um, and I, and I know this has kind of started to shift a little bit in the fan base as we've gotten closer to the season, but I'm still just a really, really huge skeptic with the guy that they have under center. I, I think he is very limited and I just, I'm just not sure that he can elevate them to where they need to be. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, a little higher on Dylan Gabriel than you, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a competent, nice player. And uh, I know I, we talked before we stopped 
you know, doing podcasts way back in the day, uh, I think kind of it was we got to had one or two post cheese it bowl. I don't know, maybe more than that. But, you know, it, just off the top of my head, you bring up, you know, like, ah, you're kind of skeptical of Dylan Gabriel. My thought like we're going to learn a lot about where Brent Venables sees, I think, his job security potentially if Dylan Gabriel does struggle at some point and whether he yanks him and bring, brings in, uh, you know, that five star true freshman quarterback. But that's, you know, I. We'll, we'll see what happens there. As, as far as where I'm at, you all heard my opening take. Uh, yeah, I, as I mentioned, not very high in the Sooners at the moment. And it's because I remain very skeptical of Brent Venables and, and his, avil- his ability to coach in-game, kind of just reiterating what I said in the opening take. And it's mainly surrounding the offensive style because, I mean, Jeff Levy's system, it racks up stats. At times, it racks up a bunch of points. But overall, it's a gimmick. And we've talked about that from the beginning. I mean, Grant, you're on to it. When he was hired, I mean, we—that was one of our biggest question marks. We're like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, for me, it was—I was going to wait and kind of see how it played out because I didn't have a whole lot of familiarity with his type of style. I mean, I look back at numbers and stuff and stats, but you see a full season of it, and you're like, okay, yeah. I mean, that's a gimmick. I mean, uh, you know, he was at UCF, he was at Ole Miss in the past. Uh, didn't really want to take a hard stance on what the offense would look like. We had our concerns. Uh, and I, I think it turns out that we were right about it being a gimmick. And, you know, you look back at Marvin Mims, you know, his comments at the combine about not being asked to run a technical route tree at Oklahoma. Like uh, he said, he didn't mean it as a dig to Jeff Lebby, but this info to me was just further evidence to back up what we already knew after watching a full season of Jeff Lebby's system at Oklahoma. It's simple and it's reliant on tempo and when an offense is simple, good defenses are going to figure that out. And teams would just guess and assume run plays because that's what Oklahoma did a lot of the time. And Oklahoma would get stopped in situations where if Dylan Gabriel and the offense wasn't moving so fast, maybe they took a step back a little bit and looked at the defense. Maybe he could have seen an easy check that would have resulted in an easy completion for a first down. Uh, like So I'm, you know, I'm starting to kind of get in the weeds there with that part of it. But I'll just say that it's up to Venables to work with Levy to figure out an offensive system that's not so extreme in both directions, like an offensive system that works better with an Oklahoma defense that's still not very good, but hopefully improved. And so I haven't even gotten to the point of the number. I mean, I brought up the nine and a half number and, and you kind of said you, you're leaning towards under. And I, I would also, I mean, not surprisingly, I'm also leaning towards the under, uh, under nine and a half. But that being said, and we can talk about this. Look at their schedule. It's awful. I mean, their schedule on paper, their schedule is awful. Nine of Oklahoma's 12 games are against teams with a season win total set at six and a half or less. So in theory, that should be nine wins right there. <laughs> so like right there, there should, there should be nine wins right there based on the current odds. Oklahoma should be favored in every single game except for the Texas game. But here's the scary thing. I went back and I looked at last season's schedule and what odd makers had for win totals at this time of the year. Uh, like Again, last season, like what everything was set up for the 2022 season. And it looked really good for the Sooners to get to 9 to 10 wins last year, which you, know, you and I were super high on that. We thought, easy, over. Obviously, that didn't happen. Look back at last year. K-State, preseason win total was 6.5. Same as TCU. Texas was 8.5. Baylor, 7.5. And just like the absolute late season killers, West Virginia and Texas Tech, both of those were set at five and a half wins at this time last year. So like those are, I get it, those are road games in 2022, but still there's like those teams were not supposed to be very good. That'd be the equivalent grant 
of Oklahoma going on the road and losing at Cincinnati and at BYU this upcoming season, which, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's certainly possible. I, I mean, both of those teams have very low season win totals. So here we go. I know I'm, I'm rambling on and on and on because I got this on my notes, so I, I want to finish this out. Like, I think Oklahoma's offense is going to be good, even though I'm critical of kind of the gimmicky part of it. And I do think Oklahoma's defense will be better than last year. I still don't have a, a very positive feeling right now about the way this season's going to progress. So like, I'd take the under right now at nine and a half, but just think of it this way to make it like kind of spin it more positive, I guess, than I'm being. If Oklahoma outperforms last season by three wins, that's still, I guess I'm, I, I take it back. That's, that's actually kind of negative. <laughs> if, if they outperform last year by three wins, great. That's still an under. So like nine and three wouldn't be a disaster season by any means, especially after going six and seven last year. Uh, so I feel like I can't be super greedy after 2022. So I'll lean towards the under, but heck, nine and three, honestly, I wouldn't complain about that. And if they were to improve by three wins, that would put them near the top of the most improved teams in all of college football too. Um, if you improve by three wins, that's pretty, that doesn't happen very often. Um, so yeah, good point. yeah, I, there was just so many things that happened last off season that I'm getting deja vu from right now in this early part of the season and just how last season ended up. I just I, I, I can't ignore that right now. I remember the exact same conversation at this point last season about how soft their schedule was. Ended up not being that soft of a schedule. Actually, it was in the second half of the season. It was pretty soft, uh, but that didn't matter. They still were able to find ways to lose those games. And so I, I'm probably overcorrecting a little bit too much for last season. Um, but let's, let's be real. Last season as an OU football fan was traumatic. And if you're not taking that into this season too, I don't, I don't really understand that. I don't understand how you can just kind of wash that clean out of your head. So um, I'm going to have to see it. I'm going to have to see tangible evidence on the field that they've turned a corner. And if you think about it, that's going to be probably pretty hard to find out because they looked pretty darn good in the first three games last season. And so if they look pretty darn good in the first three games of this season again, I think they still warrant a lot of skepticism because you don't know what's going to happen. I do think the schedule is a little bit different this year because, and again, getting into the weeds, we have another section where I think I, where I want to talk more in depth about the schedule. Um, but I do think kind of right off the bat, you are going to get your toughest game before the Texas game, and that's SMU in week two. Uh, SMU on paper right now is definitely better than Cincinnati and Iowa State. Um, and so that's going to be an early season test that I think is interesting. They get kind of a break that that's their one kind of night game in the early part of the season at home. So hopefully that'll, that'll kind of make that a little bit better. But um, I think a lot of people just sort of assume that they, they have kind of a nice little easy breezy non-conference schedule. And they do if you're just considering Arkansas State and Tulsa. Those two teams are probably going to be pretty bad. Um, SMU right now, Lee, per SP Plus, is the best G5 team in the country. And they are on OU schedule. Uh, SMU season win total set at eight. So, I mean, that's not bad at all. It's, I mean, if you look at the, the current schedule for Oklahoma, that's aside from Texas. Uh, SMU is the second most wins expected this year, at least the, the second highest win total. Uh, Texas is at nine and a half. SMU at eight. Uh, after that, it's, geez, T, uh, TCU at seven and a half. I mean, it's just... On paper, like last year, it's it's not a not a difficult schedule. Uh, by the way, Arkansas State and Tulsa both set at four and a half. So yeah, like you said, they're not they're not expected to be very good. Both of those teams. But if uh, but yeah, I, I do think that SMU 
uh, game in week two is very interesting because that's going to be, I mean, the defense is going to be tested right away. That SMU team is probably going to be in the top quarter of offenses that they play this season, just in general. And they're going to be, if, if OU's defense is bad again, SMU is going to score a lot on them. <laughs> I know Rhett Lashley's got like a, a really good resume. I mean, he, he's supposed to be, you know, he's like a pretty good offensive mind. So, I mean, yeah, that's they got, certainly not an easy test. It's going to be tough. That, that offense has, has blue chip guys at the skill positions everywhere. Their, their quarterback, Preston Stone, who is a sophomore, he was a four-star guy, was a blue chip recruit. Uh, had some good moments last season. Their top two running backs in that running back room are former five-star Kamar Wheaton and Jalen Knighton, a former four-star OU commit when Lincoln Riley was here. He had a really decent career at Miami. That's their one-two at SMU. OU kind of struggled to stop the run at times last year. At times, were were uh, allowed way too many explosive plays in the run game. Those two guys are going to test you right away, and that's just kind of it's it's a little it's a little iffy. It's a little scary right there at the beginning. Quick sidebar, I was uh, talking to a guy yesterday, a, a big, you know, a couple of like, college football guys, and like, isn't SMU, I mean, that's like an obvious team that could totally take advantage of NIL. I mean, like, because, I mean, they obviously got in trouble years ago, like the Pony Express, like, there's a lot of money at SMU, so I feel like, I don't, I mean, is it a matter of time before SMU just starts basically paying for a bunch of players again and becoming Yeah, I think better? they're basically a... They're, they're basically where if, if their administration decides to go for it, they're definitely going to have the resources to do it. So, yeah, I, I don't yeah. I don't want to get too much into SMU right now. I just thought no, I, know. I don't either. I just about we do have a little thing on the on the uh, on the script later to talk more in depth about the schedule, because I do think the schedule piece is really interesting. But um, where do you want to go from here? Lee? I know we, we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff here we can talk about. I think mostly a lot of this is probably going to be us going through the various position groups maybe bringing up some of the stuff that we've missed over the last six months and that other people have had conversations about. But um, one thing that we can say about this team, it's not, I mean, there's plenty of headlines. There's plenty, plenty of storylines to talk about. Yeah. So we'll just go. So I had a couple prompts in here just again to, to keep the, the podcast rolling. And so I was trying to think like, okay, like what, what can get us talking? What's interesting? What can, you know, get, our listeners can think like, Hey, like where do we stand on certain things? And so the next thing I, I thought was, all right, well, can you think of anything from last season that you hope is the same this year or very similar? Which is like, okay, like they were not, I mean, they were six and seven last year was not great, but doesn't mean that there wasn't some good things. So like, that's the next prompt. So like, is there anything from last year that you're like, all right, like, honestly, like I wouldn't be too mad if this is the same this year or uh, similar, maybe just a little bit better. Lee, OU is top five in all of college football last season and tackles for loss. And their defense still really stunk. <laughs> so but tackles I, for a loss. I, yeah, but I, like, yeah, what I'm saying is I, I, I hope they're also top five in the country again in tackles for loss because that's good. That's, that's one thing I would, I, I would prefer the defense to continue doing. Okay, yeah, I agree. I, I'd say, I'm thinking back, you know, the final, the final seven games of the season last year, uh, I think basically once Dylan Gabriel came back from injury, I like the way Oklahoma was able to start in those games for the most part. Like, they led six of those seven games at halftime. Uh, only one of those games, they trailed. That was the Baylor game by a field goal. They trailed by a field goal. And that was after turning the ball over three times in the first half. <sighs> yeah, which, honestly, you didn't turn the ball over much last year, which that was one of the bright spots offensively. 
and so Oklahoma, I mean, quite frankly, they should have won all seven of those games. I mean, they should have won all of those games. Uh, but post halftime play was lacking. And so obviously that part was bad. I don't want to see that. But I'd say like the way they started, the way they played in the first half, it showed me that Oklahoma as a team and it's kind of a cliche, but I think it matters for last year. Like they didn't quit because, I mean, it was one of the worst seasons they've had. I mean, worst season they've had since Bob Stoops came on camp. I mean, first time they had a losing record since before Bob Stoops. And so like the team didn't quit. You know, they started three and three. Uh, you know, quarterback was injured. They didn't quit. It was a losing season overall. Uh, I mean, they played really well in that bowl game. Should have won the bowl game, too. Uh, so perhaps I guess this team, at least last year's roster and a lot of the same p- people from last year on this team, perhaps the team isn't full of guys with a loser mentality. And that's a that's a big thing. Like you don't want a bunch of dudes with loser mentalities. That'd be devastating. So I'd say the way they started, like the fact that they didn't give up last year, they tried. <laughs> it's like, man, moral victories. But I think it kind of matters considering that, that Oklahoma hasn't been that bad in years. And I do, and I want to, I'm glad that you brought up kind of the second half of the season because I, I do think one of the interesting things on defense was that, and, and I don't know if you can say this for the Baylor game because they, I, their defense was pretty bad that entire game. Um, yeah. But outside of the Baylor game in, in the second half of the season, I thought that the defense, especially in the first halves, looked very prepared for what the other offense was going to do. Um, that was one thing that, that was a nice little surprise. Um now the only like the upshot to that is that when the other team adjusted, OU looked like they'd never played football before. So that's that's clearly a problem. Like I, I'm thinking of uh, the West Virginia game where their defense was pretty much nails the entire first half. West Virginia couldn't even move the ball at all, and then West Virginia goes to their curveball. They bring in Garrett Green to just kind of scramble <laughs> around and run around. <laughs> And OU just just looks like they have no idea what to do. And oh my God, I've never seen a running quarterback who can't complete forward passes before. Garrett Green in that game, fourteen carries, one hundred and nineteen yards, two touchdowns. I totally forgot it was that bad. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was awful. Uh, I mean, there, that was, and, and that was another game too. The West Virginia and Texas Tech games were both games where they had. They had both of those teams just kind of at, at the edge, and they were ready to be just pushed off the edge of the cliff to end their life, and OU just refused to do it. Neither of those teams wanted to be there. OU let them both in and, and supplied the energy for them, and I don't know what to do with that. Like, that was one of the things about last year that just, like, left me scratching my head. I just, I, is that, like, is that just going to be gone this year? I don't know if you can count on that. I don't know either. It's a great question. I mean, Garrett Green, looking back at his game walk last year, he was a truly horrible passer of the football. Like, the dude was not a threat through the air, yet Oklahoma allowed him to do the thing he does really well, which is scramble and run. I mean, he completed 55% of his passes last year. Uh, after the OU game, they lost to K-State. He would, K-State didn't let him run around. As, I mean, K-State was able to contain him. He had 12 carries against K-State, only 17 yards. K-State was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to let him do that. We'll let him throw the ball around. He was just, you know, 15 of 27 for 204. He did have three touchdown passes, which is kind of impressive. But he threw two picks. Anyways, like, the guy was not a good passer. Oklahoma, like you said, acted like, oh, my, what do we do here? I, I can't imagine. Yeah, that was not great. Anything else that uh, you can think of from last year? They're like, okay, I kind of want to see that. Yeah. Kind of see more of that. That's good. I, You know, hey, they were um – they were able to scheme open a lot of wide receivers on the deep ball last year, um, but they just kind of rarely hit them. 
either it was because of drops or overthrows or underthrows from Dylan Gabriel, but they had dudes open. There were dudes open all, all of last season that they just did not really hit consistently. If they can just kind of get, I don't know, maybe even a quarter of those to go in the other direction, that will be huge. That probably would have gotten them a couple extra wins if they could have just hit on maybe just two of those deep balls. Mm, I don't have the same memories that you do with that. I don't. I don't have these thoughts of like there is a ton of missed chances with that. But uh, Marv, our, our, as our as our friend Brady Trantham was is uh, you know likes to bring up Marvin Mims just missed a deep ball that hit him right in the hands in Morgantown that would have put OU up. By oh yeah, three scores I think. Oh yeah, no, I I recall that one. I mean that was yeah just. I was thinking more in the lines of just like oh like a bad throw. I mean because again like we always made the th- the comment about Gabriel like he was good for you know five to eight kind of like eh not great not great throws a game and like so I thought surprisingly his his deep ball was pretty good. Yeah, he's like, not like this is not this is not like Dylan Gabriel his his deep ball his deep ball and his ability to run are the two best parts of his game, like uh, no doubt in my mind. And I'm seeing here, you have on the notes as well, the offensive line. You'd like to see that continue. Yeah, that, okay, so that was one of the things that, kind of the thing that I was throwing around in my head a lot this offseason that really concerned me was that, because I went on this podcast at this time last year and I said, if OU has the best offensive line in the conference and they lead the conference in rushing, they are by far going to be the best team in the Big 12. Well, they did both of those things and they finished like eighth in the Big 12. <laughs> So like I don't well, like that's that's just one of the things. OU had the best line in the conference. They led the conference in rushing and they still stunk. That is a massive huge red flag. The results of the games didn't go the way they went. I mean, again, like this is a, a loser mentality, but also it's just kind of the truth and we brought this up back in January and February. I mean, how, let's see, seven losses, I think was it Except for the TCU and Texas game, which were obviously horrible. The other five losses were what? By a score, I think? Like one score? So, I mean, you flip that. I mean, boom. There's That's the difference between a 9 or 10 win team. I mean, again, that, that's how like losing programs try to cope. Like, oh, you know, a couple plays here and there. But, you know, like, that is I – mean, it's, it's also true. It's just – but also they lost. So, to your point, like, the stats were there. They ran the ball well. They had a good offensive line. To me, that just screams – the defense was bad. The defense needs to take more. I mean, but also at times the offense was bad. The offense didn't help out the defense in a lot of ways. So like it was a team effort. Um, and actually kind of like leads me to the next part. Cause I was going to ask kind of like the same idea, but flipped something that you saw last year that you're like, okay, nope, this has got to change. It's got to be different. And my thing is uh, like the, the easiest thing to me is the defense must be better and the offense needs to scrap the consistent tempo and get better situationally, uh, which I know you and I are on the same page there. Uh, Venables needs to be better at managing the game. Um, I remember like last season, I almost had a heart attack late in the year, the way he called timeouts sometimes. I just been like, what are you doing, man? Like, this is horrible. You, like, early second half and close games, just burning timeouts where you might need, you might need these late in the game when you need to stop the clock. I believe that happened against West Virginia when they – you know, they needed some timeouts late in the game, and West Virginia went on that like eight or nine minute drive to kill the clock to end the game. They didn't have like, there's times I think they couldn't stop the clock anymore. Um, so, but like of all of those things I just mentioned, if I had to pick one thing, 
it's the defense. The defense has to be better. Venables is a defensive guy. I went back and looked. Year two of Clemson, the defense wasn't elite, but it was much better than his first season at Clemson. Look at the numbers. So in 2012, that was his first year as Clemson's D.C. Clemson gave up 5.6 yards per play. 64th, that was good for 64th in college football. So like kind of middle of the pack. 2013, one year later, only five yards per play. Oh, I'm sorry, I take that back, sorry. They were 64th in total defense in 2012. 5.6 yards per play, sorry about that. 2013, down to more than a half a yard scraped off, only five yards per play. And Clemson was 24th in total defense. So technically a top 25 defense based off of total defense. Uh, and also, Grant, not, I guess this isn't that surprising based on the way Oklahoma's defense played last year. In 2013, Clemson led college football in TFLs. And that season, Clemson went 11-2, beat Ohio State in the Orange Bowl. So if the defense makes a leap, the reason why this is so like, the number one important thing to me, kind of based on what we talked about a moment ago with you thought the offense, the offensive line, number one rushing, still only won six games. I think if the defense makes a leap, It'll only help out the offense more, and it allows the offense to make a little bit more mistakes here and there, and it'll allow Jeff Lebby more leeway to hopefully adjust his system. Like The defense must be markedly better in year two, and if it's not, I think that's another major red flag for the future of the Brent Venables and Oklahoma's program, just because we saw it at Clemson in year two, it was better. I mean, he improved it in an offseason, and I think an improved defense will, again, like it, it's going to help out the offense. It'll make it to where... Uh, not so much as on them. And I think those one score games, maybe three or four of them instead, like with a better defense, Oklahoma turns that into a win by one score and Oklahoma is not winning six games or winning nine games or 10 games. So I'd say that uh, the big difference between last year and this year, I'd say number one for me is defense. Yeah. I mean, and you're, so if you, if you strip away all of the stuff on the outside, like it's pretty reasonable to say last season, their offense and that's with that's with a, hel- a healthy Dylan Gabriel in every single game. Their offense was good enough to win every single game on their schedule. I I, I do think that is if if it would have been paired with a better defense. Now I think if you want to get into the weeds there, you can. Um, the offense put the defense in a ton of impossible positions with the tempo and just all of the plays that they were forced to defend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lee, I, I I should have looked this up before going on here, but I'm still pretty sure last year's defense on a yards per play basis was better than the 2021 OU defense. I'm pretty sure that is the case. Um, I can look it up. But but also at the same time, you got the OU defense that by far led college football in the in, in the number of plays they had to defend. Like it was like by far. Yeah, um, I remember us talking about that before. Yeah, and and hey, that's that's on Brent Venables and Jeff Levy. That 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 piece right there, one hundred percent on both of those guys. Not seeing that the problem that the tempo was posing to the defense the entire season, and doing literally nothing to adjust to it at all. They just didn't. They refused to do so. All right. So twenty twenty two OU yards per play versus twenty twenty one yards per play, almost dead even. Almost exactly the same. Five point seven five last year. Five point seven three in twenty twenty one. So on a yard on a per play basis, Oklahoma's defense was uh, exactly the same the last two years. One with Alex Grinch, one with Brent Venables. 
And I, I mean, I got to think that because I, I remember the entire season, I was kind of like comparing them and I was like, I, I mean, I don't know on a per play basis, this year's defense has been better than last year's. And that's kind of like what my eyes showed me too. But then it, it's hard to, to account for their last two games of the season were Texas Tech, where they just got bombed on in the second half. Um, and then, and then Florida State had, had just a ton of explosive plays in the second half of that bowl game. So that I, mm-hmm. I, I would assume probably going into the bowl game, they were either ahead of the pace for 21 or they were just dead even as well. But, uh, I mean, that doesn't matter. The, both, of, both of the defenses were atrociously bad, is the point. And you mentioned the number of plays OU faced, OU had to play against defensively. So uh, yards per play basis, about exactly the same between the two, two seasons, 21 and 22. 21, again, Lincoln Riley's last year, Alex Grinch's last year, OU faced 887 plays on defense and that was ranked 81st in college football last year so what was the number 887 OU faced 1043 plays last year so almost almost 200 more close to 200 more that 100 and 64 that's a or lot. so you average that out over the course of 13 I mean that's a lot it's a lot of that's a lot of extra plays per game And honestly, like, this is shocking. I'm looking at this. So Oklahoma wasn't dead last. Granted, they only, I mean, they played 13 games. Uh, The team that was dead last in plays defended all year, I would never get, TCU. (laughs) Granted, they played a couple extra games. Uh, TCU faced 1,072 and allowed 5.7 yards, almost the same exact yards per play as OU. And yet TCU was in the national championship game. I mean, that just shows. I mean, situational defense, timing. You know, better offense. Like TCU allowed five point seven yards per play last year. Yeah. So their, Granted, de- their defense. Sucked. The national title game. The, the title game had to skew that big time, though. I mean, they had that. La- I mean, they got stomped by. I mean, yeah, which, it probably wasn't five point seven before Georgia. Yeah, which that. I mean, that. Let's say yeah. That that confirms my priors. When I watched TCU play defense last year, I was like, wow, this defense stinks. And anybody with a pulse is going to absolutely pummel them. Yeah, I mean, no surprise, though. I mean, the number of Big 12 teams in plays defended, TCU was la- dead last in the nation. OU was 129, so right there. Kansas was 124. Team Oklahoma 129, St- baby. <laughs> Is that a Oklahoma good omen? State I probably was not. right there with Kansas. Like, all these Big 12 teams. So you think the Big 12... Texas was 118. So the Big 12... Kansas State was 115. Yeah, you think the Big 12 uh, runs a lot of plays? Holy cow. Like... Yeah, I guess there's a, there's a theme here. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else? So, I mean, my I, mean, I I named a couple of you know a couple of things that need to be different, but mainly I'm I'm on defense. I know for you, you agree with me. The whole tempo thing that's going to be a big part about this season. I think early on, you mentioned the first three games. Even if they play really well, it's fair to be kind of skeptical. Like because last year they played really well too in the first three games and ended up being. Uh, I don't know if they were a different team because in hindsight, I think you might have made this point. We were talking, obviously, off the air months ago. But in hindsight, you go back and you kind of watch the first three games in 2022. It's like, yeah, this is the I mean, this team is not that great. <laughs> like, I mean, Nebraska stunk. Uh, I mean, they struggled. You know, I kind of forgot how much they struggled in the first half against Kent State. Couldn't couldn't move the ball in the first half. Uh, so, like, again, if they play really well in the first three games, like you said, I don't know, like, is it going to totally fall off a cliff again after that? 
But offensively, though, if, if there's a change in scheme, a change in identity offensively somewhat in the first three games, that might tell us something. What do you think? I don't know. I, you know, I hope so. And I hope it's something that we can that we can see, you know, actually on the field. I, you know, I'm there have been kind of some rumblings that a little bit like in these scrimmages and fall camp, they're actually huddling a little bit. And, you know, I, I, I think you should take anything that you hear from anybody who's plugged in this year with just a massive grain of salt after last season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if they're if, if, if that's some some evidence that they are they're trying to make positive changes there and they're trying to kind of pick and choose their their moments of tempo, um, that would be better. Um, but also, like, I just I, they got to be a lot better on third and long, like obvious passing situations. Um, because they were really bad at it last year. They were really bad at it. And my my fear is that that is just an inherent product of the system that they want to run. Um, third and long passing situations is all about precision. Uh, the Bear Raid, the system that Jeff Lubby wants to run, there's just no precision in it whatsoever. They don't emphasize it. You can't when you want to go so fast. It's just not possible. So like I've you, you hear you hear reports about how they're they're aware that they need to be better situationally and they need to be better in situations like this. Um, I don't know if it's possible to be possible to be that much better when you run the offense that you do. That may be unfair, but that's that's one of my big worries right now in, in the in you know in the preseason. And to back up your point, I went and looked and crunched the numbers on third down from twenty twenty two, a season ago. And third and long, third I mean, we decided third and seven or longer, third and seven plus. Uh, yeah. Oh, and the thing is, it takes a lot of time to go through every single play by play of every single game to track third downs. I wish I had the stats for other teams to compare this to, because I don't know if this is, uh, you know, way worse than everybody else. Uh, the same as like, you know, everybody else or maybe actually better. Cause like may- maybe they're, they weren't as bad on third and long as we thought based on numbers, but it doesn't sound very good. So last year, third and seven plus OU, was 16 of 85. That's good enough for about 19%. So just short of one in five. So last year when Oklahoma had third down and seven or longer, they had about a 20%, like one every five times they would convert that, which sounds bad, right? Like that's horrible. I mean, but I don't know how bad it is compared to everybody else because that would take a lot of time to do the, I mean, maybe somebody else has crunched those numbers. I just don't know about it yet. But one, you know, 19% on third and long does not sound good. No, it sounds bad. And I think, and I think maybe some of the feelings regarding this is because I, I think the perception of a lot of people is that OU's defense was awful in situations like that. Like it was almost like third and seven plus for the opposing offense was, was, was always just kind of an automatic first down over the middle of the field. Ooh, that should that would be interesting to to see what OU gave up on third and long. Ooh, if I have time, I can go back and crunch those numbers. I mean, that would be, I mean I'm just pretty good metric. Of course, like the horror story is the is what I don't I don't remember what what they had Adrian Martinez and when the game was when they oh were down gosh. by a touchdown against Kansas State was it like third and eighteen or something like that? I don't think it was that much, but it was definitely more than ten. I mean, it was definitely double digits. And it was the easy it was uh. the easiest first down that Adrian Martinez has ever picked up in his life. Well, I mean, he almost scored. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I mean, if you go, uh, I looked at this, and so they're about 19% on third and seven plus. On the other hand, on third and six or less, I mean, 57%, 63 of 110. I mean, 
that sound I mean that sounds really good, right? Like holy cow. Uh, think, again, it, I'm not and sure I think how a that lot of that is they, they were yeah. in a lot of third and ones and stuff like that that they that they were able to pick up. And this is sure. again, this is where maybe the numbers need to be crunched more. But it seems like whenever they absolutely needed it the most on third and one or fourth and one, like if they were in opposing territory, or if they were in kind of like no man's land for whether or not you want to punt or go for it, it kind of seems like they they were always getting stuffed in those situations. Right, and yeah, I mean, obviously, as you get closer to you know third and one or you know third and three third and two third one. I mean there's going to be the percentage is going to jump from there I didn't I didn't break it down by yardage but just you know third and six or le- or less oh you converted 57 percent. so as, as long as they stayed outside of third and seven plus I, I mean and I'm pretty sure they how were much their chances went up like statistically they were pretty horrendous on fourth down last year too just like Ross that they just did not pick up a lot of fourth downs that they tried well, the most egregious fourth down miss is obviously against Baylor on fourth and one with the Marcus Major Wildcat. Yeah, just <laughs> literally put anyone else in there in that situation except for Marcus Major, and they probably would have picked it up. That is still just that is that's still maybe the most unforgivable thing from last season, and it's probably not it was, fair, but it's just something I just cannot get that out of my head. It was such a big moment in the game. I mean, it was the first half. I get it. It wasn't like the fourth quarter, but it was such a. I mean, Baylor took over, went down, I believe, and scored. And, and I think increased their lead to like two scores, whereas Oklahoma, I think we're down by a field goal maybe at that time. So you keep moving the ball, maybe you score a touchdown, take the lead, kick a field goal, tie it up. But instead it was a, I mean, it was a seven to 10 point swing the way that that situation. I mean, it was just a dumb, dumb and like tempo offense and going fast. And like, oh, but here we go. This is the guy. we're Anyways, no need to relitigate that. All right. So. I threw a couple other things in here, and, and now, I mean, we haven't really talked specifically about anybody except for really Dylan Gabriel, kind of. So, obviously, a lot of new players on this team, new uh, positions, also some guys coming back. Uh, we can talk about position groups, players of interest, and I'll commend you for putting down some interesting notes here to kind of get the ball rolling. So, I will turn it over to you to this part of the podcast to uh, see uh, where we go next. Yeah, I think we're just going to go position group by position group, and if we're You're just talking about the offense, so we might as well just stay here. Lee, I want to start with the pass catchers on the team. And so that includes receivers and tight ends. Because, Lee, as I go through kind of the roster and I go through all of the intel that we're hearing, I think that wide receiver slash pass catcher is by far the biggest question mark on this team heading into the season. I think this is the one area, if you can point towards the coaching staff, has kind of failed. This is where it is. They haven't really gotten a lot of they've only they only brought in one true freshman receiver this year after Keon Brown didn't qualify academically. So Jacquez Petaway is the only new guy, a high school guy that came in um, their transfer class from a season ago. LV Bunkley Shelton, uh, Hester from Missouri. They've been on a milk carton. We have no idea who they are or what they're doing or if they're even relevant football players in this program. Um and the two guys that they brought in last season, kind of at the deadline, Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson, were pretty much MIA all of last year. Nick Anderson got a, got a jet sweep in the bowl game. Uh, Jaden Gibson had a few instances where he just looked completely unready to play any sort of organized football every single time he was out there. Um, and we go into this season with uh, Jalil Farouk kind of being the assumed number one guy even though he has never shown any ability at the college level to be a number one wide receiver. 
the number two guy, Lee, is Drake Stoops, who I think is, honestly, going into the season, is probably the best receiver on this team based off of everything that we've seen in college. Um, I think, but I also think that Drake Stoops, this is a really, really bad offense for his skill set. Just, just not good. Um, and other than that, Lee, if you listen to Brent Venables and any of the other, the other people, it sounds like the other top receiver on this team who has emerged in the offseason is Gavin Freeman. And so my question to you, Lee, is, and I, 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 I want to stick with Gavin Freeman here too, is Gavin Freeman kind of him maybe being counted on to be a, uh, a big-time player this year or a guy who is maybe going to put them over a hump, a guy who is going to give them more of a of a kind of a dynamic playmaking threat at receiver. Is that a massive, huge red flag that this receiving group sucks? Well, if in if he is somebody that they actually really are counting on for that, then yeah, uh, I don't buy that for a second. Um, I think Brent Venables loves walk-ons. I, I think because he, he was one himself. So I don't put a whole lot of stock into, man, this is, I mean, sure, maybe he's looking good. Awesome. Uh, and I hope he's good. That would be great. I mean, Drake Stoops is a walk-on. You mentioned you think he might be the best receiver on the team. Uh, and by the way, you mentioned Jalil Farouk. He's never really showed he can be a number one. I'd, I'd agree with that. The, 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 it's annoying because last year, I, I recall, like he was at times he was the best receiver on the team, and then we start talking nice about him, and then he would have a terrible game. He would, he would drop a pass, or he wouldn't show up. It's like, come on, man. Like We're, we're backing you, and then all of a sudden you disappear. Uh, I, I think he's really good. He's a really good player. But yeah, I mean, can he be number one? I don't know yet. Uh, I, you know, I put a lot of stock. I, I, I'm hoping that guys like Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson are good. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about Andrew Anthony as a transfer to me. It's like, well, if he's good, great. I'm not expecting much out of him to be yeah, honest with you. Yeah, I think he's, you know, it's, and if you, there's a lot of camp reports that suggest that, you know, he's kind of in the top three, the starting group along yeah, with Farouk no, and, I, and, and Drake said, Stoops. Yeah. And, um, and that sounds great. I hope, I hope it's definitely kind of like a Jamison Williams situation. Guy who was at Ohio State, was, had no production whatsoever to Ohio State, and he transfers to Alabama and he's the best receiver in the country. Like, I hope that's the case. But what are the chances of that happening? Pretty much nil. So, like... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm concerned that he had no production at Michigan, and I understand it's a different offense and everything. But this guy was a stud. You know, you would think that they would try to get him the ball, and they just that just never really was the case when he was at Michigan. So, and then you also just kind of like add in there, and just if if you read the tea leaves and everything, Andrew Anthony, in terms of like the transfer portal and recruiting guys in the portal, was a backup plan for them. They wanted they wanted the guy from they wanted the guy from Louisiana Tech who ended up going to Ole Miss. They wanted other guys too who did, just didn't pick OU. And then they had to kind of settle for Andrew Anthony. And so that, that's where I, I think the coaching staff, um, and hey, it's like Anthony, I guess he may be a great find and he may be a good player, but I think on paper right now, this coaching staff utterly failed in the offseason at receiver. They absolutely needed to bring in an established wide receiver in the portal because there were plenty of them. Yeah, and we talked about it. I mean, there, we had a segment we were – there's a lot of guys that were like, man, it'd be great if Oklahoma could get one of these guys, and they didn't get any of them. Uh, I do know, I mean, I recall, I think recently Venables did mention, yeah, he expects Anthony to be a big part of the offense. I mean, that's what he's seen as far in camp. So, you know, I mean, hopefully he is. Hopefully he is, and that's a good thing, not like just because they have to have him because they need bodies because everybody else is bad. Uh, I know that. So I, this is probably – could be nothing because uh, – well, this is a non-quarterback. Like I've decided to go back to my opening take a little bit. I'm not allowed to have opinions on quarterbacks anymore 
because I, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So, I, I mean, I will have them, obviously, but who cares? They're probably wrong. But when it comes to non-quarterbacks, I'll still try to make opinions and think that I could be right about it. And I was listening to Dylan Gabriel. By the way, it's very interesting not being a part of the media, and, and I don't get to go to all these availabilities anymore and be in the scrum. It's, it's kind of weird, but also like, eh, it's fine. I, I don't mind. Like, shout out to all, the, all my friends in the OU's media that post stuff online. We can watch. It's great. Um, so I was able I, – I was listening to Dylan Gabriel talk, I think. I don't know if it was last week or maybe the end of the week before – and I just he had some comments and I'm, as I'm clicking around trying to find them, he had some comments about uh, Jaden Gibson that I was kind of like, ah, I, I kind of wanted more there. Like it just didn't like because I think I mean, I love his size, Gibson. I love big receivers, uh, but maybe the whole big receiver thing is kind of going away and you see like more smaller guys are being more effective. I mean, Tyree Kill's not big and he's one of the maybe the best receiver in, in the league, but like I wasn't really into his like so. He, he was asked about Jaden Gibson, and Dylan Gabriel kind of paused. He smiled, took some time to kind of figure out what he was going to say, and he, he led with, he's a great guy. Uh, he's kind of the same. Uh, he's talented. He comes to work, has a lot of good things on tape. And, like, I listened to, like, a couple more times, like, when he was saying, and, and, and what, it, it didn't get, like, as I listened more, it was like, okay, this isn't as bad as I initially thought when I heard about it, but, like, when I first heard him talk about Gibson, I was like, I don't know if he's going to be it. Cause I feel like I, I don't know. Maybe it's like an internal thing where sometimes players, their eyes just kind of open up wide and they're like super excited about certain guys. He just didn't come off to me as like, he was his favorite target or like he was, he was just like, yeah, he's kind of the same guy. That's kind of what it came off. as like, he can't be the same guy as last year because he was a ghost last year. He's got to be more. So hopefully I'm wrong about that weird initial assessment of Gibson based on an interview in August from Dylan Gabriel back on August 8th. Uh, the, the one other guy that I know a lot of people are excited about, and I'm curious to see who it is, is Jaquez Petaway, talking about smaller guys. Uh, supposed to be really fast, right? He was a true freshman, so how much can you expect? But, uh, you know, he's talented and gifted. Gabriel, according to Gabriel, it seemed like Gabriel, when he talked about him, I got a little bit more. Granted, he's new, so... I don't know. Maybe they're still learning about him, but I, I mean, I'm curious to see what he is in year one. Also, very curious. You know, he's looked um, sort of the brief sort of practice videos I've seen. He looks pretty good. He looks a lot bigger than I expected. Um, looks really smooth in and out of his breaks and whatnot. So we'll see if, like, I I look at Jacquez Petaway and I like it's hard not to think that this offense kind of really, really needs him to emerge. Really needs him to emerge. I, I'm Lee. I, I just I think their wide receivers are not any good. I, I'm, it's a huge question mark for me this year. Well, here's the thing that and that bothers me so much is that can we really anticipate there's even a chance for a freshman to emerge after what we saw last year? It seems like, again, I, I guess maybe I've heard behind the scenes Gavin Sawchuk might have been banged up or something last season, so maybe that's why he didn't get really much run until the bowl game. But, like, again, I remember coming on after the bowl game and saying, where has this guy been all season long? I had not heard at all about him being injured. Again, I've heard rumors, I know you have too, that maybe he was kind of banged up. So if that's true, it makes a little bit more sense why Sachuk didn't play until the bowl game. Uh, but my point is, is, is like he to me, he was clearly the best, most, most talented running back on the team. We didn't see him until the bowl game. Is it because they just don't really want to play freshman a whole lot? Um, we, we saw bits and pieces of Gibson. We saw bits and pieces of Anderson. 
Uh, we saw a little bit of Jaron Canick against Nebraska, and then not a whole lot after that. Uh, is it was it how much of it is that they just don't get it because they're freshmen, they don't know anything, and how much of it is Brent Venables, Jeff Lebby, Ted Roof? Like, nah, we don't want to really play these young guys right away as much just because they're young. I don't know. I mean, in the in the case of Jaden Gibson, and I like I don't like I don't want to be too harsh here. Jaden get like I I just I've he did get his shot. You're he right. got a shot. He looked awful. Is he looked like point? he looked yeah. like one of the worst players they've ever thrown out there since I've been watching OU. Ah, he wasn't that bad. Come on, that that's that's ridiculous. Every single every like, single time he had an opportunity to make a play, looked like he's never played football before. Yeah, the main one that stands out to me was a TCU game. That was like the first big one where he I mean he dropped a he dropped the ball on third down. I mean Dylan Gabriel made a nice job of extending the play, rolling out, and threw a really nice ball to him. And I mean it was it was not an easy catch. But he's 6'5", and it was a ball that was right in his hands. He dropped it. It would have been a third down conversion. I remember thinking, like, oh, man, come on, man. you got to make that play. And it just didn't really get better from there, unfortunately. Yeah, and this is – I haven't even mentioned Brennan Thompson, who is, their other, who is their other transfer guy that they brought in, who is, like, their seventh choice in the transfer portal. Hey, man, speed. He's supposed to be a speed guy. Come from Texas. I did, I did randomly. I was the other night – I was – I think this was Friday night, but – ESPNU is like playing back, you know, like the top 25 games of last season or whatever. And one of them was Texas and Oklahoma State in Stillwater. And I saw he caught like Brennan Thompson caught like a little swing pass from Quinn Ewers and he took it 32 yards. It was his first catch of the season. I was, I was like, oh, that's topical. That's interesting. He actually looks pretty good on it. He did. He did look. Might have been his only might have been his only catch of the season. I only, <laughs> he didn't do anything really last year. But and, and that's not to say it sounds like he's been banged up pretty much the entire time he's been at OU. So I. I, I don't expect him to make any sort of impact this season. Um, but, I mean, and Lee, we've, like, we're sitting here talking about the receivers. We haven't talked about the tight end room, which is, I think, objectively Ugh. at this point in time, if you actually look at it on paper, by far the weakest position group on this roster. Man, it's bad. It, it, I mean, when Austin, I mean, no offense to Austin Stogner. When Austin Stogner is like your number one and you're hoping that he – he has a season that he's never had in college football and can be some sort of elite tight end. And you're like, not really sure what's after him. That's bad. I like I hadn't, this didn't really settle into me until, you know, a few weeks ago and I was kind of looking over this and Holy cow. Cause I remember, I, I guess some of these young tight ends they brought in, I remember being pretty excited about them, but they're all, they're all injured, right? Like everybody's banged up. Everybody's hurt. Uh, As I say, yeah, uh, (laughs) Stogner is the only scholarship tight end right now that we absolutely know is healthy and will contribute. The other scholarship guys, Caden Helms, I said, I said Caden Helms is dead. That's not true, but he's, (laughs) he's, well, you said that in the, yeah, he's just very, yes, he's, he's very injured. Doesn't sound like he's going to be, be able to, uh, to contribute this year. Uh, Jason Llewellyn and the other, and and Cade McIntyre, the other scholarship tight ends have, it's been just radio silence for them there's no because they're not even there's there's walk-ons that are mentioned ahead of them Hampton Faye Blake Smith and Josh Fanul all guys who have been talked about ahead of Jason Llewellyn and Cade McIntyre which is weird Jason Llewellyn played a little bit last year um so I don't know what his deal is Cade McIntyre I think he's been injured yeah Llewellyn's been hurt Cade McIntyre a guy that I was really excited about from the recruiting class who I think he was he's like the number one player in Nebraska was kind of a diamond in the rough guy Sounds like he's not going to be a thing this year. Um, Brent Venables was talking was talking about Hampton Fay, I think, earlier this week in one of his press conferences. And I'll be honest with you, man, never even heard of the guy. It's the first time I've heard his name. 
And then there's Blake Smith, the the walk on transfer that they got from A and M, and then Josh Fanul, who is the who is the converted former D one basketball player. He's the guy who I'm kind of like my eyes sort of perk up, and I'm just like, yeah, I, I hope that guy can just kind of emerge as like a good pass catcher, good athlete, whatever. Just like as long as he can catch, he should be pretty decent. But I don't know, man. I think this might be a year where we just see them go four wide with wide receivers. And then just and hopefully they can just kind of run on light boxes. I think that may be what they're like. What they're I, we might see a lot of ten personnel this year from them. Yeah, I mean uh, Helms and Llewellyn were the two guys that I remember thinking like these guys. I mean I'm excited about these guys. I love really their size. excited about Caden I mean, Helms. They, they, like loved his his tape in high school. He just can't stay healthy. Yeah, and so I'm I'm looking back. So I mean uh, earlier this month Venables gave an update on some injuries, and so. And you may have already kind of referred to this, but yeah, Helms, they're not, he said he's not sure when he'll be back. Uh, and they said uh, Jason Llewellyn has been snake bit since he's been at Oklahoma, but he does think that he'll be back, but he didn't mention like when. So I guess best case scenario is Stogner is palatable and has, is good. And then at some point Llewellyn can come back and they can at least have two guys. And then I guess they got this, what, this transfer, you mentioned him briefly, this guy from A&M, but like okay is he gonna do anything I don't know I mean these young guys I can't sorry I don't expect much out of the young guys so yeah that's that is not a good tight end room it's a good thing that uh it's good at least we can fall back on this at least Austin Stogner does not have any injury history in college football at all (laughs) oh boy we can totally want just take it to the bank he's definitely gonna stay healthy he was just so tight and so good with Spencer Rattler that he transferred away from Spencer Rattler (laughs) I had back to Oklahoma. I, I mean, clearly, I did must maybe it's a Lincoln Riley thing. It's like oh, I got to get away from this guy. Which, yeah, just yeah. not. Um, man, I'm just I. That's the one thing from the off season that just really kind of leaves me scratching my head, throwing my hands up. I, I just this coaching staff utterly failed to reinforce the skill positions in the transfer portal. I, I really believe that. All right, what else you got? Uh, you got some offensive line talk. Yeah. Uh, running backs thing. I mean, the running back, like, well, I mean, go whichever we want to go with. I know, uh, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on the offensive line. All I know, I have more thoughts on the running back group, but where do you want to go? No, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't anticipate to spend a lot of time talking about this. Um, this is, I, you know, coming in t- or getting out of last season, coming into this season, the offensive line in the running game was, was kind of something that I felt pretty decent about just in general. Um, I saw Barnes and Sawchuck in the bowl game last year, and I was like, yep, these guys are good. They're going to be fine there. Um, and then it just, it just sort of sounds like if, if, you, hear camp, if you hear sort of the, the chatter out of camp, and again, take everything with a grain of salt, but there's definitely just more of a track record with this, <laughs> with this position group. Um, it sounds like the offensive line is the best unit on the team, um, which, great. That sounds great. Um, I, hope, I hope they can just run the ball down people's throats this year, and I hope they're a little bit more explosive. Yeah, I remember listening to Venables. I think maybe when he opened up camp, uh, or no, no, maybe not. Like he he said a lot of good things about offensive linemen and like some young guys too, uh, which you know, that's, yeah, that's you great. Caden um, Green, I know is uh, is is somebody who is who has really impressed them. Um, but actually, I mean the the best part about this line, Lee, is you know they they do have to replace three you know three starters on that offensive line, um, but. They, they do have a lot of experience. Their least experienced guy on this offensive line uh, is, is Savion Bird, and, and he's arguably the most talented guy on the offensive line. So 
Um, bringing in Walter Rouse from Stanford, guy who has started, I think, over 40 games in his college career. Um, I know Pro Football Focus didn't really love his pass blocking ability, um, but he was, I think he was one of the highest graded like run blockers in the Pac-12 last year. Um, and he's not on Dylan Gabriel's blind side, so that's, uh, so that's good. And you got Tyler Guyton on the right side. Uh, Jared Verse, who I thought was the best edge defender that OU played all of last season, uh, singled out Tyler Guyton as the best tackle he played against all of last year. And I think that is significant. Okay. Uh, sorry, I was kind of looking back to see if I have some more thoughts or notes on these guys, and I, I do and I don't. Um, I know that uh, I, like just Jacob Sexton's a guy that I, I think a lot of people like a lot. Uh, Venables mentioned that. Uh, he's ahead of his timeline. He could probably be ready to go right now, but they're they're working to protect him more just so there's not a setback. Um, so he mentioned that middle to late September, he'll have full clearance. So, I mean, it sounds like the off- offensive line group, like I said, is, is looking good. That's, I mean, maybe that, it's, that makes it even easier for them to go easy on Sexton so they can get him back. I mean, that'd be a heck of a, I mean, again, he's a young guy. He didn't have a whole lot of run last year, but I know they like him a lot. I like him a lot. And if they can get him back in, I don't know, October or something, and if the season's looking good, that's add more depth to that offensive line. Obviously great. Yeah, I think you can, the offensive line, you can really talk yourself into them having quite a bit of depth there. Because, uh, you know, that's starting five right now, and then plus you add Sexton, who I think is going to be like the swing tackle, like the sixth offensive lineman that you that you see a lot in Bill Biedenboe's schemes. Um, you know, he, he started at left tackle in the bowl game last year, and I think they I think they sort of expect him to be kind of the cornerstone left tackle before he tore his ACL. Um, he'll be back. And then they also, they, they did have some, I thought they did a pretty good job of adding some depth in the transfer portal here uh, with Caleb Schaefer, the guy who has started a ton of games at Miami of Ohio. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's probably not like a world beater or anything like that, but he's a big dude, really big guy. He's got a lot of starting experience. And then Troy Everett, who started every single game last year at, at center, I believe, for Appalachian State. And I think they're just counting on him to be like the seventh or eighth offensive lineman. And that's, that's not bad. I'll take that. I was looking at, I finally found my notes. Like there's a guy named, uh, did you mention this freshman Heath Ozeta? Uh, I did not, I did not mention, uh, did not mention Heath Ozeta. I'm, I'm not really sure we could count on him, but yeah, I've heard some good things about him, but. Well, the reason, the reason I bring it up is it just, it, it stood out to me whenever, I mean, Venables is going through all of them at some, you know, back when camp kind of started and he was like oh man his measurables are outstanding his testing is outstanding I mean I mean maybe that's a thing that happens all the time but it's like okay like this is some random freshman that he's like outstanding measurables all it's like maybe it's just for a freshman maybe that's how he's grading them so I don't know I mean yeah not anticipating him to be something right away but just it stood out to me it's like oh okay well are all because that was in addition to like you know the Caden Green who of the world I was like okay wow like all these young guys maybe Bill Biedenboe really is just bringing in a bunch of blue chippers and hopefully they can actually do something in this gimmicky Oklahoma offense, unfortunately. And so like when we move on to the running backs too, this is where I think a lot of people feel pretty good about this. Um, and I, and I think this, this potentially is sort of the X factor for this season. If, if Javante Barnes and Gavin Sacha can emerge to be like a really formidable one, two punch there, um, and OU's offensive line is their best unit, and they are able to run the ball well this year. They're able to kind of unleash Dylan Gabriel a little bit in the run game as well because of that insurance policy behind him and Jackson Arnold. Um, 
man, it would be great if they could just lean on the running game this year, especially for explosive plays. And if they could just kind of, man, dial back that tempo, dial back the tempo, lean on the run game, give your defense a bit of a break. I, I think that might be, um, that might be their their script to be a lot better this season. Um, especially if being a little bit more explosive in the run game can lead to them, you know, being more explosive in the passing game as well. So, I think we, I, I think everybody, the, the assumption right now that it is going to be Javante Barnes and Gavin Sachuk is the one-two. I haven't seen anything to change that. Of course, Marcus Major, for whatever reason, is still kind of sticking around there. I, I'm. You know, give the guy credit for kind of sticking through and going through his college career and still coming back and everything. But man, that that dude doesn't need to be anywhere near the depth chart. I am, um, <laughs> and like I know it sounds mean or whatever, but if it's if if Marcus Major is taking away carries from Tawi Walker and Caleb Hicks, why why on earth would that be the case? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. It's 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 time. It's yeah. Um, by the way, breaking news here. Breaking news on West of Everest. Breaking news. Uh, you, didn't, you don't know this is coming. You might know it's coming. Uh, I, have, uh, uh, I have different thoughts. Uh, I'm a little higher now on uh, Javante Barnes than I used to be. A little higher on him. You know why? Because apparently he played all last year with a foot injury. He was injured all last year. Didn't know that until this fall, apparently in August. He had a procedure, got it fixed. Like, that was, okay. Like, he, to me, he looks stiff. Like, he, he'd get tackled right away. Maybe that had something to do with it. If he's fully healthy now, great. I want to see what he looks like fully healthy. I mean, he's, again, I love his size. Don't get me wrong. And I, it's not that I don't like Javante Barnes. It was just I was very annoyed by how easy it was to tackle him a lot of time. I love the fact that he always fell forward. He always picked up a yard or two. He never got stopped in the backfield. But now that I learned that he was playing all last year injured and presumably he's not injured anymore, great. Throw him and Sawchuck together. That sounds awesome to me. And then you mentioned, yeah, Caleb Hicks. Yeah, throw in Tawi Walker. I've liked Tawi Walker every time I've seen him. Uh, and yeah, sorry, like, I've seen enough Marcus Major. <laughs> I just, sorry, buddy. Uh, I mean, he's going to get run. We know he is. He's been there for a long time. They like him. So, you know, hopefully, again, this is something that we're wrong about. And he all of a sudden has a breakout year. Uh, but man, if, if they have other talented players back there, please give them the ball more. So a little higher on Javante Barnes than I was about six months ago. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm buying that stock. I, I'm just, that's where, if, if OU is going to be really good this year, I, I do think it's going to be because Barnes and Sawchuck is, is the best duo in the Big 12. If, if OU is good this year, that's, that's mostly going to be why. I really feel that way. All right, we've already talked a little bit about Dylan Gabriel. Uh, we'll, we'll talk, like, we're kind of going a little bit longer than I thought, honestly, so. Yeah, we'll do, let's, let's save... I, I the the Dylan Gabriel Jackson Arnold thing has been played out and let's we we can save that we we can save that because I, I think a lot of our thoughts on it are pretty obvious right like if if Jackson Arnold is is capable of running the offense right now at a high level I think everyone agrees that he should be the starting quarterback but nobody knows yeah. that though nobody knows if that's the case yep 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 uh okay defense so again like it needs to be better and uh, you, you mentioned here on the rundown that on the defensive line, which, okay, the defensive line, let's start there. It makes sense. Going back to, heck, Mike Stoops, uh, Ruffin McNeil days, like Alex, I mean, the defensive line has traditionally been not that bad. Like, actually, like, it's the strength of the team, and it needs to be. It's, it's where it all starts. Um, and, I mean, there's, they got some guys that you can get kind of excited about on this roster, right? Sounds like. 
I think so. Yeah, like I said, I mean, you can you can talk yourself into them having a lot of depth there, and by depth I mean bodies right now because we just we don't we're we're just not exactly sure how everyone else is going to look. Here, here's one thing I can say: Rondell Bothroyd was the best defensive player on Wake Forest last year. Um, if you put stock in a Pro Football Focus, was one of the highest graded defenders just in the ACC in general. Um, I think I, I think Rondell Bothroyd is probably kind of the alpha of of this defensive line group right now. Um, I think you can count on him to start every single game um, and probably be a pretty productive player for them. Um, on the interior, I think you can count on Isaiah Coe being at least an above average player. I thought he was the best interior defensive lineman on the team last season. They got a break when he decided to come back for his senior year. Um, everyone else is you can talk you can talk yourself into them maybe being a you know an impact player but everyone else i really do think warrants probably a shoulder shrug and an i don't know i'm a i mean probably like a lot of people uh, not knowing a whole lot about this guy uh how can you not get intrigued slash potentially excited about dejon terry from tennessee i'll tell you why he's gigantic and, and, and i am he's big dude he's a big dude and i you know it's Here's why I'm not necessarily like getting too excited about Dejon Terry yet. Why was he in the portal at the end of the spring? And why was it like I it just it does that doesn't make any sense to me. Kind of reading the tea leaves from my perspective again, not not an expert on this. To me it just it came down to at least this is what I think, he wasn't a shoe-in to be a starter this year at Tennessee. And so coming to Oklahoma with a rebuilding defense, and I, I think he thought, okay, I got, I got a better chance to play a lot more snaps here in, in Norman. And I don't know if Tennessee's defensive line is supposed to be great. I don't know anything about them. I mean, it's obviously like with hype. In my mind, Tennessee's like an offensive team, and you don't think about their defense much because of hype. So, you know, maybe that's a bad sign to your point. Maybe it's like, oh, if he can't play at Tennessee, why the heck should we be excited about him playing at Oklahoma? Eh, that's probably fair. I just, he's a throwback, man. I mean, he's a huge body. Like, we didn't see a whole lot of these types of players. We didn't see any of these types of guys in the speed D thing because Alex Grinch wanted to be skinny and small and fast. And so I just like the idea of a guy just taking up blockers in front and maybe making it easier for the linebackers to roam. And um, if that's his job and he can take up some space, that's, a, again, it's a throwback type player that we haven't seen at Oklahoma, I feel like, in a while. Right. And, of course, like his, his size is undeniable. I mean, he just look, he's a really big guy. Um, but six I, you know, three three twenty one, and maybe maybe I'm being a little bit greedy, and maybe what they need just right now are just are just above average solid players to maybe get them over the hump of consistency and whatnot. But it's hard for me not to think it's like ah oh, man, they just need they need difference makers on the defensive line, and I just I I I'm just not sure that Dejon Terry is a is a difference maker, and um you know sticking with the interior defensive line like I. I get that everyone loves Jordan Kelly. I get that he's a good, you know, he's a good teammate and everything. And everyone is kind of just like raving about how strong he is and how great he's done in the weight room. We've seen Jordan Kelly, man. He's 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 an average to blow average college football player. He's fine. Yeah, he's just a he's a guy. Uh, and and also, I, mean, I yeah. they moved they you know they um, they moved Jonah Laulu inside. He's I mean he's he's put on like thirty pounds and he's gonna be he's gonna be playing at the three tech this year. Really. I didn't yeah. see that. And um I don't know, man. Like I, I I hope that works out really well. And I hope maybe they find like a like a, a good maybe pass rushing, you know, threat from the interior like that. But I'm trying to look if I if 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 one of OU's rivals in the Big Twelve 
did this with one of their kind of like backup defensive ends. And I, I would be, oh man, that, that reeks of desperation. And that's probably not going to work out for them. And that's, that, that's kind of my question mark like on all of this stuff. There are too many, what seems to me, other than like Rondell Bothroyd, there seems to be just way too many plan Bs and plan Cs in this group. Maybe. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, at least I just, I like the fact that we're not in the old like speed D where we got to get lighter up front. I just like the fact that there's some bigger guys because uh, you got to be able to stop the run. And Oklahoma has been so bad against the run. It seems like, uh, especially last year, they can't stop the run. And obviously they get pushed around. Uh, and that was the same thing. They got pushed around a lot when Alex Grinch was the defensive coordinator. Uh, I mean, K-State was the main, I mean, obviously K-State destroyed Alex Grinch. Just, you know, let's just load up and overrun you and overpower you because we know exactly what you want to do. So just the idea of going to more, you know, bigger guys, obviously, I mean, you, you hope that some players that have been on, on the roster before can step up. I mean, like, you know, what Grayson Halton. Great. You're hit, he yeah. Be? That's the one thing you're, you're really hoping for someone like Grayson Halton to take a big step. Kelvin Gilliam needs to take a step. That's a big dude. He needs to do something um, strong. I remember hearing about how strong he is. Okay, let's do it. And then you got a couple, you know, the, the transfers like Phil Paya, uh, been injured a lot. He was a, he was a starter at Utah State until he tore his ACL. Another big dude, kind of like Devon. I mean, not as big as Dejon uh, Dejon Terry, but an idea, an interior big body guy taking up space. If he think can come they, back uh, at some point, he's hurt. I don't think they expect helpful. him back until kind of like midseason right. or second half. Yeah, of no, year. yeah. Yeah, he's he's injured. Yep. Um, Jacob Lacey but, as well was there. Well, he was their first transfer actually. They got him from Notre Dame. Um, and I think he's. Um, I know, like, kind of the 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 chatter is that he's been dealing with kind of the similar issue that Jalen Redmond dealt with a handful of years ago, and so that would be blood clots. Um, I there everything that they've talked about with him. He's been out practicing. I think he's got a blue jersey on, so he's not going through contact or anything. But he has been practicing. I think they said that his they kind of expect him back in late September is like when he'll be cleared. So, I mean, there, there's an extra thing there. We haven't even mentioned Devon Sears um, transfer. They got from, from Texas state. He is a guy who um, he has like, yeah, you don't want to go to pro football focus. You can put a big grain of salt in there. He had a really, really high um, pass rush grade from the interior at Texas state. So I think they're probably counting on him just to be kind of a situational guy, maybe a, a, a decent pass rusher from that, from that point. Um, trying to think. Yeah, and I, I know we're talking about interior now, but if you go back to the edge too, like I, you know, we didn't mention R. Mason Thomas, who I think is another kind of wild card there. You're definitely hoping that he takes a step and he turns into, frankly, the best pass rusher on the team. If he's able to do that, that's a huge, a huge deal. Didn't even he mention has to be Trace With Ford his size. Well. Tra yeah, Trace Ford and right. Trace Ford. They've I, like, man, everyone's just kind of raving about him in camp and about how great his get off is and how fast he is and everything. And I'm like, man, Trace Ford had one good season at Oklahoma state. And what are the chances that he looked like this at Oklahoma state in practice last year too? And then he just wasn't that productive. And I'm just like, man, how I hope it, I hope it doesn't mean that that room is just not that good. And then you think, yeah, I mean, I, it's going to be by, by the way, throwaway line, but it'll be kind of bizarre. The first time we see him in an OU uniform after seeing him in OSU, but whatever, who cares? Uh, and then you kind of get, you think like, okay, like PJ Adebore, like everyone's excited about this guy, five-star, like how good is this dude? Is he going to be like, is he so awesome that he's like, boom, he's playing right away? Because honestly, like 
We need to get more out of Ethan Downs. We need to get more out of Reggie Grimes. Those guys were kind of, they, they didn't, yeah. Like, I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, that guy's on the team still. Like, I remember like the bowl game thing like, oh, oh Reggie Grimes. Like, when was the last time he had a tackle? And like, these, they're built great. Everyone loves them. Great team guys. Great. It's just like, there needs to be more impact there. There needs to be more impact. And it's like, there's an opening for other players to do more, you would think. Because it's like, I, again, I, and I guess that's the idea of a Trace Ford or Rondell Bothroyd, obviously. Uh, but, I mean, you, you got to get more out of Downs and Grimes. You're, you're two guys who were your starters last year. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest with you. I My feeling this year is that we're probably not going to see really any of Reggie Grimes. I don't know if he's going to play at all this year, really. Um, we are going to see Ethan Downs. The guy was like third in the Big 12 in TFLs last year. And he was – Ethan Downs was a lot better last year than the fan base was willing to give him credit for. Um, he got to get better. Like, I don't want him to play 80 snaps a game. But he, he was productive. He's able to tackle guys behind the line of scrimmage, which is good. That's a good thing. Uh, all right. So, you know, linebacker obviously is – I mean, it might be – well, there's three levels of the defense. Uh, I mean, it's probably the most important part. They got to figure out linebacker. It was a it was a mess last year for the most part, mainly because David Ogwebu was not good. Yeah, can and we? Dan, we we said Danny it on Stutzman, this. Yeah, sorry. David Ogwebu was was by far the worst defender on their defense last year. Was the biggest was was one of the biggest reasons why if you had to if you had to point out one player, he was he was the one that that really made them play with their with their hand tied behind their back. And it's just the the question is, I get it. He's experienced. He'd played a lot of football before that. He's a leader of the team. Yes, yes, yes. Did he continue to play snaps because of his, uh, the fact that he was a veteran and he knew the system and, and uh, I don't know, like Venables and Roof, they're just, nope, we, we don't want to give anybody else a shot. Or could nobody else beat him out? And if nobody else could beat him out, oh, boy. Like, I get it. They were, they were young. Okay. It, fine. Sure. Uh, and that's, I don't know about that. Like, he, and the main thing with him is just he was slow. He couldn't move. And he was supposed to be faster and more trim. He wasn't. And, like, that's it. Now he's what? Where you go to Houston, I think. And yeah, he's Houston, trans- he's going to play defensive end. And it's he's going to play defensive end. He's going to be on the defensive line. It's just more shame <laughs> on Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch for putting him in an impossible position. Shame yeah, on them. That's a great point. Ruined like, we're, his career we're at the college him. level. Yeah, he should never been a linebacker. He should never been a linebacker. Granted, again, like he in 2020, it was like, whoa, okay, here we go. Like this guy looks, and then he was nowhere in 2021. Did nothing in 2021. He didn't build off the 2020 season, and it's more evidence that the 2020 season was a mirage. It didn't matter. Like that, it was a weird, crazy, COVID weird year. I mean, but that you know that 2020 defense had six NFL draft picks on it. And also all, the best like defense. The four, the four yeah. dudes who were playing in front of Igwebu on the defensive line, all those guys got drafted. It's impressive. It's also the one time Lincoln Riley won a bowl game. So yeah, who cares? Doesn't matter. I was actually listening to our pod, the post the post cotton bowl thing after they just stomped Florida. It was funny listening to that. The entire time, the only thing I could talk about was just how much of a joke Florida was. Well, yeah. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, Danny Stutzman and Jaron Kanek are like best buds now. Uh, 
So that's kind of like you're hoping for. And then like I, I do want to see like I mean these young these young players from last year that I was always kind of like wondering like are they gonna get some run? Mainly you mentioned your Kobe McKenzie here in the rundown. Like I, I wasn't a big Kobe McKenzie high school tape guy. I thought he was kind of clunky, little little big, wasn't wasn't didn't move very well. But you know he's had a whole year under the program. Like give him a shot. Um, hopefully he's, he's something. And I know uh, they get this guy Connor Near that is supposed to get some run as well. So uh, I mean definitely have. I'm I'm optimistic about the linebackers mainly because some of the younger players coming in. Uh, I'm just kind of curious to see what they can do in year two on, in this system. Uh, you know, again, hopefully the defensive line can be good to let these guys roam around. But the thing is, though, if they can roam around, great. But if they don't know what the heck to do, it's not going to matter. They're going to go the wrong way. They won't make tackles anyways. So we'll see. I mean, Stutzman's got to get better. Obviously, Canis got to get better. Uh, it's, there's a lot of work to do. Thankfully, Brent Venables is a linebacker's guy. That's his group. Didn't seem to matter that much last year, though. And so, yeah, I mean, the big one of the big stories of last year is that it was, yeah, I mean, Stutzman and Aguebu just did not come off the field. There was no one else that they were comfortable putting in there. Um, it, it kind of looks like that's not going to be the case this year. Um, just from everything that I've gathered and just sort of observed, it does look like does look like that Stutzman and Kanek are going to be the two starters there. And then it's 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 looking like it's Kobe McKenzie and Connor near behind them. Um, and yeah, you, you can talk yourself into that being a pretty decent, decent too deep there. Um, Kobe McKenzie is a guy who I think I was the same as you when I watched his high school tape. I was like, ah, I don't really know if this guy is it. I don't know if people should be kind of clamoring for this guy. Um, he's kind of the, I remember between his, his redshirt freshman year and then his sophomore year, um, just sort of like the glow up that Nick Benito had, where it's just like, I remember seeing him in that first game his sophomore year when he was playing on the edge. And I was like, who is that? I don't even know who that is. And then realizing that it was Benito, I was like, oh my gosh, like he has kind of grown into his body and he just looks like way better. That's the same feeling I get when I look at Kobe McKenzie now. He looks great out. Like he looks athletic. He looks, and this is, he looks so good in his uniform and just like he, he, he <laughs> looks like what a stud linebacker at the college level is supposed to look like. So that's cool. Um, I, I'm assuming that we're going to see quite a bit of him this year and I hope he's good. Um, Lee Connor near is a guy that we have not spoken about on this podcast at all because he, they got him in the transfer portal after we did our last show. Um, I don't know what else to say about this guy other than I am just very intrigued. He's a, he's a D2 all American from Ferris state. Ferris state is the best division two program at that level. Um, I don't, when I watch his highlights from Ferris state, I don't really know what to take from it because it just, you know, it's the angles aren't great. It's hard to judge his speed, but he, he does kind of look like your typical Brent Venables, like linebacker who knows where he's supposed to be. Um, and all of that kind of knows exactly probably what the offense is going to do. I think the big question with him is going to be, is he going to be athletic enough to run at, at this level or, or guys going to be able to just run around him, you know, a la David Aguebu the last two seasons. Oh boy. Um, well, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't have any other thoughts on the linebackers. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, obviously, the defensive backs always have thoughts about them. Uh, not going to do the same thing I do every year where I talk myself into the DBs being awesome. Have, I think I've learned too many lessons <laughs> from that. Uh, going into Brent Venables is now the defensive coordinator. Here we go. The DBs could be a lot better. Like, okay, no, nah, they're, they're still not very good. So if they're better, great. I'm certainly not going to expect much. Granted, I like a lot of the guys they have, obviously. I mean, I, I like Woody Washington. Granted, there's a, there's a reason why Woody Washington's still on the team. Uh, 
Gurley's not. Am I? Am a I allowed pro to say? Prospect? I don't really like Woody Washington that much. I don't think he's that good, and he's been. He was, he, and I know a lot of people said he had a solid year last year. Man, he wasn't very good last year at all. I, he's okay. Yeah, he's okay. Um, I mean, I, but you know, you throw in like Billy Bowman. We like Billy Bowman. We you know, hopefully he can be healthy, come back. Yeah, Billy Bowman Bell. is by far the best player on this defense coming into this season. Like by a large by a large margin. By a large margin. Well, you know, I mean, could be right about that. Could be right about that. Um, certainly isn't. Uh, well, no, I'm not going to go there. That's not fair. Then you kind of get excited. Like, well, where's Pey- is Peyton Bowen going to get a lot of run as you know five star D back? Who weird thing? Oregon, but not Oregon. Went to OU. That you know, people get excited about that. I am certainly excited about any sort of any sort of five star DB that's <laughs> take take a take a side sw- any sort of five star DB that's not Buki. <laughs> like okay, let's see where this goes. Uh, I mean, this guy is not five foot seven, and uh, you know. Anyways, that's that's in the past. So. Peyton, Peyton Bowen just kind of does look different out there. If you go watch sort of kind of the brief highlights that you see, like in practice and stuff, he just kind of moves differently. He sort of glides. And um, one thing I can say about Peyton Bowen that just looks really nice, especially if he's going to play safety, is he is long. He is. I don't. I don't think he's the tallest guy. I think he's like five eleven or six feet tall, but he's really long, and um, good. Because I, I mean, I hey, I, I want my safeties to be able to tackle. Like that's obviously important. You know, missed tackles in the secondary lead to, to big plays. But more than anything, I want my dudes in the secondary to be able to cover because that is by far the most important thing. Make sure guys aren't open. And I love I, that too. Yeah, I already just have for whatever reason the two guys that I trust the most in the safety room to do that are already just Billy Bowman and, and Peyton Bowen. And that's it. And so like, I, I kind of am just like, I get Reggie Pearson. I get, he's a, he's a really experienced guy. He's got, I think he's got close to 40 starts in his career between Wisconsin and Texas tech. Um, man, he was, if you go look at pro football focus, he was one of the worst cover safeties in the entire conference last year. Um, and if that's what they're going to get from Reggie Pearson back there, I don't even really want to mess around with it. Uh, that's 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 terrible. I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, the thing that stood out to me, as stood out to everybody about Pearson, is just he was not afraid to hit Dylan Gabriel last year. But then, like he he can hit, he can tackle, and like it's like what was the last time OU guys like made big bone jarring hits? Even last year with Brent Venables. But that's such a small thing. Like you can't count on that. Uh, so, yeah, I guess with him, we'll see what we get from Pearson. Here's my question to you. Is it possible that, like, the biggest potential defensive letdown candidate is Desan McCullough? I do. I do think that that is possible. Um, like, I can totally see him being just a dud, which hopefully he's not, but I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of talk, a lot of buildup. I mean, indeed, yeah, I don't know. I'm, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see what, and so like I can, like you can see, I mean, he physically, he, he just looks different than a lot of guys on the defense. And like, I'm not denying those, those traits whatsoever. I mean, he, he, he looks like a dude for sure. Love his size. Love his love size, yeah. love his length, love his athletic pedigree. I love his history. I mean, he comes from a, from a professional athlete family, basically. Um, and a man, coach's I family, am just, so he, he gets it. He gets it. Man, I am just very iffy about the position that they want to play him at i'm so iffy about that um 
man, I, I realize that, you know, Brent Venables and that staff, they probably are always going to want to find a guy who can maybe, who can be like Isaiah Simmons. And from an athletic profile, from a body profile, yeah, you can obviously see it here with Hassan McCullough. They're pretty, those guys pretty similarly sized in athletic profiles. Um, Last year as a freshman in Indiana League, Desan McCullough played essentially the Eric Stryker position. He played Jack Linebacker, basically, where he was just essentially asked to just rush the passer. And he was fairly successful at that as a true freshman. Um, Cheetah is essentially just is essentially a safety position. That's that's what it is. That's how you want it to play. You have to actually cover wide receivers and tight ends. It's very, very easy for me to picture Desan McCullough being absolutely dreadful at that. The thing is, though, we would never expected Deshaun White to be effective at Cheetah, and he was. Yeah, he's good. Deshaun I, White had a really so, good season I, last year. And I mean, I don't. I guess I haven't watched a whole lot of Deshaun McCola. I don't know athletically what he if he. I mean, I would guess he's probably more athletic than Deshaun White. I mean, I never would have guessed Deshaun White looked like a different type of player last year. Like he looked faster. Like he looked. He moved better. Was it because of his different position? I probably. I mean, I don't know. Like may, maybe there's something with that position where I. You can run a roam free. So, I mean, that kind of gives me a little bit of hope that he can make that transition to covering guys. And how often are you going to be asked to, to cover guys one-on-one? I mean, not a whole lot, I don't think. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Zone. I don't know. So, so. I'm like, hey, but like also, you know, I, I could see it working out too. What if they have, you know, what if they're good enough at other positions where they can just kind of kind of tinker with this a little bit? And what if he plays Cheetah, but a lot of the time they only ask him to rush the passer? Or asked yeah. to maybe he can do that. Um, he made some really athletic plays in the spring game too that you didn't necessarily see other OU defenders in the past make. And so I'm just the the co- the offensive coaching staffs in the Big Twelve are just too good, are just are too smart, understand where they can where they can gain advantages way too much. And the very first time that Desan McCullough looks looks shaky in pass coverage from that position, he's going to be picked on constantly and consistently. And that's that's what I'm mostly concerned about with him just a couple other players i feel like we should at least bring up talking about dbs and cheetahs uh and you kind of have it mentioned here a little bit on the rundown like i'm sorry i i'm not going to get excited about justin harrington so like hearing that he might play a lot or like start at cheetah like not buying it nope sorry if uh, you if, if if you're i i don't know what to say that if if, if you're an ou fan that's kind of buying all of that you know, you do you, obviously, and I don't want to tell anyone how to feel. Um, but if if you come away from that disappointed after, if you, just kind of shame on you. That's your fault. Yeah. And, I mean, great guy, good team guy. I mean, I, I like his story, the fact that he came back and they let him back on the team uh, last spring, not this past spring, but like the spring before 2022. I, I get it. I get it. Dude looks lost out there. He's a hard hard worker. Run, he goes hard every play. Dude looks lost. Like, I just... I mean, granted, he's had more time to learn, but trying to potentially rely on him as like a starter slash guy who's going to play a lot of snaps, that makes me very uneasy. Um, so I'll mention him and then also a guy that we'll see how much he plays this year. I mean, I, based on history, he'll probably get a lot of run at the start. We'll see how it goes. But uh, Key Lawrence, uh, I mean, we'll see, man. Like He's got to do more. He's been a bit of a letdown since his transfer from Tennessee. Uh Again, good team guy. Everyone likes him. Uh, I, we, the, the best football we saw him play was whenever they moved him to corner in like 2021 for a bit, and he looked, looked kind of more comfortable there for a little bit, and then uh, obviously the Brent Venables regime moved him back to safety. So, Hey, there's uh, always, yeah, we'll you see. know, there's always, it kind of seems like every year that I've been an OU fan, 
Um, we talked about this a little bit last year, but there's there's always a long tenured guy who has always been a disappointment. But by the time he's there for his like fifth year senior year or just his senior year, there's always a guy where the light just kind of comes on and he's pretty good. Last year it was Deshaun White. I think we all kind of agree on that. Um, the 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 couple years before that it was probably Isaiah Thomas, where he was just he was on a milk carton yeah. his entire career, and then all of a sudden he was one of the best defensive linemen in the conference. Um, could it could it possibly be key this year? I don't know. Um, I'll I'll tell you right now though. I'm essentially kind of writing him off. He is not in my plans whatsoever for this year. I have not even thought about him. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't either. But yeah, um, year three for him. We'll see what see what comes. Um, but and I, and I kind of like if if you want to pick out the guy who just kind of has a surprising year, you don't see it coming. I think that leaves. The guys probably, I mean, the the number one, um, number one and two guys for that would probably be like Jordan Kelly and um, Woody Washington, maybe, or Justin Harrington. Those are the three guys who would maybe qualify. Sure. All right. Well, we've gone uh, quite a long time here on this show. We can. There's a, definitely a lot more in this rundown we can save for later. Um, do you want to? I know you got the schedule here next. We kind of talked about the schedule a little bit earlier with win totals, but we can go into that a little bit. And let's then maybe, uh, let's do that for like a season preview episode, because then I we we that's when we do that we can also touch on a lot of stuff has happened in the Big Twelve. A lot of stuff has been happening in the Big Twelve. Um, we can we can touch on that. I think like at the, at that same time. Okay, I do want to play like because I, I put it in the rundown a little bit. I, I did have a couple games. Just it'll, it'll be quick, but it could be fun here at the end. Uh, and you kind of looks like you're playing along too. I'm looking at your notes. Um, I did want to uh, play. It's like a, okay, I, I did want to mention. So this is kind of like whatever, but like players changing numbers is kind of getting out of hand to me. And like the aforementioned Justin Harrington, granted, I mean he was 37. That's a weird number. So Justin Harrington's now number four. Obviously, he could do that because Jaden Davis is gone. So now Justin Harrington is number four. Woody Washington changed his number again. He was zero. What was he before? He was something before zero. Now he's changed it to five. But he can go to five because Billy Bowman changed his number to two. So Billy Bowman now is two because David Aguebu has gone. So he's like, oh, two's open. I'm going to go to two. So now Billy Bowman's, which I think five is a cool number. I don't know why you go to change from five. I mean, five, but he goes to two. And two is probably just his number. I, I guess. And then, like, Gentry Williams, you haven't really mentioned him at all. Uh, corner, you know, he was 24 last year. I think 24 is kind of a cool number, but now DJ Graham, which, by the way, maybe DJ Graham's going to be an elite receiver. We'll see. I don't know. Probably not, but that would be kind of cool if he is. DJ Graham switches the offense. So, uh, number. So, and Braden Willis is gone. So, DJ Graham can have number nine on offense. So, Gentry Williams goes from 24 to nine on defense. And then lastly, and I, I could have missed some in here. Maybe you'd know. I don't know. But I just found this kind of interesting. Austin Stogner's back, as we all know. Uh, he was number 18. And he was also number 18 at South Carolina. But he wants to go and switch up the mojo, apparently. Now he's 81. So Austin Stogner now has gone to 81. So I just, whatever, by game one, two, we'll get used to it. And so big deal. But I just, it's kind of always jarring to me to see these number changes. Especially whenever some of the numbers are kind of cool. Like Woody Washington with zero. That's kind of cool. Uh, Billy Bowman at five. That's kind of, but anyways, whatever that throwaway stuff. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but I, I'll be honest with you. I never really pay attention to player numbers at all. It's never, okay. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what their numbers were last year. I, I maybe wouldn't have been able to pull Woody being number zero, but 
I think it's just um, important because you see that, like, I guess working in media, like, you, like who, who is that guy? Like, oh, yeah. Like, I, the, the best one for me is always when David Aguebu changed to two, and you see him out there, and it looked like C.D. Lamb had eaten C.D. Lamb because, like, after the year he had gone, because C.D. Lamb was obviously number two, it was like, oh, oh that's, that's David Aguebu. Oh, okay. Okay, well, interesting. I guess they might have been on the same team together. That was 2019. Gosh, man, I yeah. hope. Oh, I hope Aguebu has a really good season for Houston. I'm rooting for him. Yeah, he's a good guy. Really nice kid. Uh, lastly, I guess we do need to mention a couple comments from the Facebook page, which we appreciate. But I did want to play. Uh, <laughs> wait, uh, that guy is still on the team? Which, I th- <laughs> which this was fun for me, looking at the roster for the first time in a while, kind of preparing for this. Because I haven't been dialed in as much as I usually would have been because working. And I saw some names that were like, holy cow. <laughs> so I went with uh, like, and I know you have some, some numbers here. You have some people here. So I'll, I'll kind of give you like my number one. I guess I have like a number one guy that is like, wait, that guy's still on the team. I have like a, a close second. And then I have a couple more that, that are like, okay, yeah, like, but they're, they're not as fun for me. Uh, my, my number one ultimate guy, and I don't know if this is the same as you, uh, man, this guy's on the team still Shane Witter. Yeah. I, he, Wait, he, he was on, on my list. I think, I, I think him and another guy are the two very obvious ones. So, so yeah, my, and I think that the other one, my number two close second to Witter, just because like he didn't play at all. Actually, like he was injured. The, the number, my close second to Shane Witter of wait, that guy's on the team still is obviously Marcus Stripling. I he's that dude played in trying to think I I think he debuted in 2019 I I remember him playing in that first that first game against Houston on that Sunday night as the Jalen Hurts uh, debut and I remember like and he had like a huge motor I think he had a couple of like TFLs in that game and I was like ah sweet Marcus Stripling this guy's a player yeah about that yeah so that so him and the other I had two other names that were kind of like they're not as fun. I feel like as as uh, Stripling and Witter. Uh, I think I think and we've already talked about this guy. I mean, I think Jordan Kelly belongs on this list, uh, but I mean, he's kind of just been here because he's been around for a long time. And honestly, DJ Graham probably belongs on the list because of the position change. And it's like, oh yeah, he's he's still here and he's gonna be on the team. Uh, who else do you have? Do you have any other ones? Oh, uh, I ha- I put. I had guys like Kelvin Gilliam, Nate Anderson. I threw Davis Bevel on there because I thought it was funny. Well, actually, I have in my notes to make. I, mean, I have laugh line. Maybe Davis Bevel and also General Booty. Seriously, seriously. Like, wait, they're on the team still? Like, uh, oh, actually, and I have it. I totally forgot about this. So. Uh, you know, the, the segment was called, wait, that guy's still on the team. Like surprise. I have another version of it of like, oh, cool. That guy's still on the team. All right. And I have a few names here. Uh, and this kind of goes against what you're mentioning a moment ago. when we We're talking about DBs, but I think Woody Washington deserves to be on that list. Like, cool. Like he's a nice player. He's on the team still. He could have, I remember asking him before the Oregon bowl game a couple years ago, if he was going to be on the team the next year. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back. Cause there was thoughts about him. Maybe going to the NFL or trying to figure out if he can get drafted. It's like, oh, okay, cool. He's on the team still. Uh, the other one and another guy we talked about earlier. Oh, cool. That guy's on the team still. N- nice. Isaiah Coe, like still there. 
cool. And uh, and again, this is this is more of like me. I just I thought this guy was one and done. So I was like, oh, cool. Uh, Jonah Laulu. I thought he was a one and done guy. <laughs> I thought he, he was, was going to be off, off the team. Jonah Laulu was one of the four reps that OU sent to Big 12 media days last month, which a lot of the time means that I, I think I, he's probably a starter. I think he's going to start on the interior defensive line, which yeah. that's one thing that's like, oh, man, that gives me gives me a lot of pause. And like Laulu was fine last year, like on the edge. He, was, he just wasn't. Like I, I never really saw him get like dominated or anything, but he also didn't really do much outside of the sack he had against Nebraska and the and the near pick six or was it a pick six against in Bedlam? It was a near pick six. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I wanted to play that game. I thought that was a fun game. Let's see. Before we go, do our Facebook comments before we get out of here. Yeah, but, and I, I don't want to do all of them because there's a lot. And thank you for that because I. I this is going way longer than I thought, but I'll, I'll read a couple just um, and maybe there's a prompt here. Start at the top from Andy. Andy says, I'm just happy y'all are coming back. It's been too long. I would just like to hear everyone's take on conference realignment. Again, glad to have y'all back. Boy, Andy, I appreciate the question. I don't have I don't I'm not prepared for that question right now, to be honest with you. Uh, there's a lot that's been going on. Uh, I mean. I Personally, since Oklahoma has is going to the SEC. I'm kind of, I've honestly tuned a lot of it out, uh, to be honest with you. But uh, is that something that you want to talk about right now, or do you want to save that for later? Um, I mean, we should any- probably shelve it. I'd, I'd like to be a little bit more prepared, be a little bit more thoughtful if we're going to talk. But, you know, I'll, I'm going to give you like my surface level thoughts. Um, it's sad to me that the Pac 12 does, you know, does not exist anymore. It's a conference that has existed for nearly 100 years, I think maybe over 100 years. Um, there's probably a lot of people who are, you know, in that footprint who are sad about that and um, especially feel bad for, for Oregon State and Washington State. Um, but also at the same time, um, you know, we talked about it on this podcast, a big reason why the Pac-12 is, is no more after this season is because um, that part of the country, for good or for ill, just doesn't really care about football or athletics that much um, when it comes to just when it comes to, to, to colleges, really, at all. Um, and the administrators and the presidents of the Pac-12 have no one to blame but themselves. It's 100% on their shoulders. Yeah, and I suppose I'll just I'll add a little bit to it. Um, the thing that stands out to me the most about it that is just bizarre is the geography of it. All these teams are – and this is the same thing when USC and UCLA decide to go to the Big Ten. I just think it's so bizarre to me that – these schools are going to be now in the Big Ten, which is in the middle of the country. Um, I'm not as into the tradition stuff as you are, and that's been a theme of this podcast. Like, I, yes, it's weird the Pac-12 is going to be dead. That's yeah, that's not great, but also whatever. Uh, in my mind, we'll get over it. The, the team, all these teams will still be. Well, the four that are still left, yeah, that, that's not great for that, those fan bases. I that would be weird. Um, but and I guess that's the privilege of being Oklahoma supporters. Like that's. It's not something Oklahoma would ever have to worry about, at least in our lifetime, probably. Uh, I, guess I say that now, and who knows what can happen. But, uh, yeah, that would be – so I guess it's kind of like, ah, eh, doesn't affect us, so whatever. Uh, and Oklahoma took care of their thing. I mean, the Big 12 – I mean, you're right. The Pac-12 leadership, it's their fault. Um, credit to Brett Yormark, and honestly, credit to the Big 12 for being proactive after learning about OU in Texas. I mean, it, they did exactly what they needed. And I was very surprised. I honestly thought – 
that some Big 12 schools would decide to, to go somewhere else and then they wouldn't be able to be a united front, but they stuck together and then they got all these new teams coming in and they're going to probably get some more teams. And it's basically uh, the Big 12 is the, the third third tier conference now behind SEC and Big 10, which that's, I think, Brett, your mark has shown incredible leadership so far in his very short ter- time as the Big 12 commissioner. So good for him. Yeah, and I think... Um yeah, good for them, and I, I do think so. I remember on this podcast, oh, it's either last year, or a couple of years after, you know, after after OU and Texas had announced that they're that they're going to be leaving the Big Twelve in, in the future. Um, my advice to the Big Twelve was just like just try to make the most fun conference you possibly can, um, and they've kind of succeeded in that with the <laughs> and so it's 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 a very what is left of the new Big 12 is a very interesting conference. I, I will give them that. It definitely is. A couple more comments. Uh, Hunter, uh, Hunter just says, uh, yeah, my odd dude, my favorites. Well, thank you, Hunter. <laughs> we appreciate that. Uh, longtime listener, Harry. Harry says, it's so awesome that Brent is looking into local talent, also such as Trace Ford. He transferred in Gentry Williams from Tulsa, Jacoby Johnson, uh, from Mustang, and so far Xavier Washington for Carl Albert. So Harry, just talking about the local kind of talent on the Xavier team Robinson. They're recruiting Robinson. Okay, he said Xavier Washington. So okay. Um, so thanks, Harry, for that comment. He also Harry also says that he would love to hear about some early reaction to next year's schedule, which is set full of the S, you know SEC schedule, and then uh, some non conference: Houston, Maine, Temple, and Tulane. Uh, thoughts on the SEC? I know that's a big thing that's in schedule like that. I think we can table that for down the line because I'm not. I mean, I can give you my general thoughts on certain teams, but I don't have the schedule in front of me right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't. I my only thought on it is it's on paper very obviously the toughest regular season schedule that OU has ever played. <laughs> it's it's not easy. Uh, and Ben's the same way. Ben says talk about SEC opponents coming up in future expansion from other conferences. So a couple things we can. When we get kind of more thoughts on that, we can we can talk more about that. Uh, Caleb says he wants to hear all of our season predictions. I'm sure we'll have that before the season begins. Um, how much or how little do you think we should see Jackson Arnold? So we'll certainly talk about that at some point. Also, how about Gavin Freeman? Is he the real deal? Why is so much hype? So we kind of talked about that a little bit on this show, Caleb. Uh, also, receivers, he says. Caleb says, which game would you pick to attend? Okay, here we go. We can answer this one. So, um, okay, so he's, he's asking about the receiver. We talked about the receivers a little bit, so we answered a little bit of Caleb's question. Also, Caleb says, which game would you pick to attend this season, BYU or Cincinnati, and why? Okay, well, that's we can already say, Grant, uh, you and I, we are already planning on going to Cincinnati, so that's a done deal. We're going to go to that one. That's happening. Uh, got, and also, we got airfare, yeah. Airbnb, and everything, so that is happening. So we are going to go to Cincinnati. Grant and I, we, you know, we were children. We actually lived in Cincinnati, so that'll be kind of a homecoming eh, of sorts. Not really, but It'd be the first time that I've there. been there since we moved away. So yeah, same, same, yeah. So we're excited for that. Uh, I definitely recommend to you listening. If you all are deciding, you know, listening this long into the show, go, go to that. Go to Cincinnati and you know, enjoy. It's a cool city. Uh, granted, again, we haven't been back for a long time, but I mean, I've heard great things about Cincinnati since. And try Skyline Chili. It's good. It's not, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's good. I used to not like it when I was a kid. My palate's changed a bit. It's good. Uh, and, you know, and also, B1, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Do you have any thoughts on, want to add? 
Oh no, I, Skyline is is just, it's an institution. It's wonderful. It's uh, it's very divisive though. Go in with low expectations and then have your mind blown. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And so, and I'll, uh, BYU. I mean, actually, both games. I mean, I want to go to BYU as well, and I, I think I know you do as too. I haven't put as much thought into that. I did look at flights a couple of months ago. They were kind of nuts, and and so that's one I'd like to go to BYU just for the sure novelty of it. Uh, and and but I don't know if I'll be able to do that one as well. But I mean, if if I can, I'd like to go to both. Yeah, so that's the, obviously we got Cincinnati already on the schedule. Um, also, there if, if anybody is you know is planning on going to that, I think uh, we're going to be at the Reds game on Friday night, and uh, every, I, I'd recommend everyone do that as well because uh, we can we can meet up. I'll buy you a beer. Um, well, maybe not at the Reds game because it'll be like fifteen dollars a beer, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but then yeah, you know I I would really like to get to BYU. Uh, hear from the Twin Cities flights for that for that weekend are unreal expensive um i'm assuming it's a it's probably a skiing thing i would guess it being so close to thanksgiving um oh, yeah and so but but we'll see we're also you and i we're going to be in wyoming for all of thanksgiving week and so that might give us a bit of more of an opening to kind of get creative with 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 flights and whatnot so um i would really like to get to that one the other one that i am very likely to get to is i i i will be going to bedlam this year um and so I I have never seen a game at Boone Pickens Stadium, and do not know whenever you know when else I would ever get a chance to go there. I, I had the same mindset of going to Kansas State a couple of years ago as well, and I was really happy I did so. Uh, with them not on the schedule this year, that was the last time I was able to get a, a chance to do it. So able that you know I'm really happy that we were able to go, um, and it's going to be the same this year for Bedlam. I'm 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 really going to try to get there. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I was there the last time they played. That was the insane. Same game, the, the the next day Lincoln Riley bolted. Uh, great atmosphere that night. I mean, that, I mean, if that's anything like uh, what we see this year, um, pretty cool. It's a cool place to watch a game. I'll, I'll give them credit. Boone Pickens is is it's kind of fun, a little different. Uh, also, uh, Alan on the West of Everest Facebook page again. Thank you for the comments. Alan says, by the end of the year, what do we need to see both record wise and by the eyeball test to feel confident? that Oklahoma is ready to make a splash in the SEC. Well, kind of went over. We went over the schedule at the top of the show a little bit with win totals and kind of what we're thinking. Um, that's, I think we can kind of tackle that more as we get closer to the season when you kind of start thinking more about this team. Uh, thanks for the question. That's going to be an open question. I'm not sure yet. Um, like just like sort of on the surface, I, if, if we see like I'll feel pretty good about the SEC if if we see Jackson Arnold this year and he's clearly awesome and if Jacquez Petaway is clearly awesome if they go into the SEC with an awesome Jackson Arnold awesome Jacquez Petaway and a really good one-two punch at running back with Barnes and Sachuk I'll I'll feel pretty good about it yeah yeah that's that's a pretty good point and lastly on the West of Everest Facebook page Shelley says what do you guys think about the recruits Oklahoma has been getting and this was posted uh about a week ago and so Shelly says looks like uh we may be losing one we were hoping to get uh to Missouri which that ended up being what, what's it get his name Williams Williams Winery so that's so yep of course he's uh he's going to Missouri or committed to Missouri as far as other recruits go I, I'll be honest I have not been following recruiting that close uh so uh, is there any big other recruiting news that's worth mentioning that you've noticed Grant I, you probably follow this a little bit closer than I do yeah I'll be honest with you I they're um the recruiting class they're working on right now is kind of hinged on them getting these these big time uh, blue chip defensive linemen. They're already zero for one on one of them, so um, 
we'll see if uh, if 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 they don't do a good job of kind of securing a you know three or four of those other guys, uh, it's the the class on paper is going to look pretty weak. This is the class. This is the twenty four class, right? Where they got like did they get like the number one running back or something? Or they do have the number one like- running, but they they got Taylor Tatum. So that's like that's cool. And like this is. This is like one of my big takeaways from last season is that this offense, this Jeff Levy offense, is great for running backs. If you're if you're a running back, you should absolutely want to play in this system. Not yeah. great for wide receivers. I and mean, they run the ball a lot. They run the ball a heck of a lot. Yeah. Well, at least it looks like maybe there's some reinforcements coming. So like Devon Mitchell is technically a tight end. They got him coming too. Is is was he like an athlete or something? Is this the, the kid that was like maybe a five star? Or yeah, I, he was like a, so he was a five star for the twenty five class, and then he reclassified. Ah. So now okay. he's coming into the 24 class and it's, yeah, he, he, he might be the number one tight end in the country, even in the 24 class. So that's like, that's good with such a depleted room. Um, and I also know the, the 20, the top 2025 tight end who is actually an Oklahoma kid, uh, just recently de- decommitted from Notre Dame. And the kind of the T is that he's, he's a massive OU lean. So, uh, there is, there is possibility that OU is to that, that really depleted tight end room is adding the two number one tight ends in, in the next two classes to that room, which is which is good because that's, I'll be honest, and we'll, we'll get into this next week, but one of the main reasons why I'm scared of Texas this year is because I got the best tight end, in, or the second best tight end in the country. And that's just a huge, if you know how to use it, that can just break defenses. Well, there you go, everyone. Almost two, actually about, about two hours of West of Everest content. I, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, we're back. I did not anticipate a two-hour podcast, but why wouldn't I? I, I should have. I should have anticipated it. Um, all right, so I'm not really sure what the schedule will be for the next show. Uh, unfortunately, we kind of just knew we wanted to get one out. <laughs> we waited until Sunday to get it done, so um, you know, we'll see what happens. I think we can um, safely say that we'll have kind of like one of our usual season preview shows, and then we'll also have an Arkansas State preview before the first game, right? You would think? Yeah, I I mean if we have time, I, yeah we're gonna have to. Um, it's gonna be real busy, uh, not this week but the week after that before week one because I mean I'm I'll be traveling I'll be I'll be coming to you in Minnesota and I mean somehow at some point we'll have to have a, a heck I mean the big season preview might have to be the next show because then we're preparing I mean we're uh geez, what are we two weeks away not less yeah, than fall two camp's weeks away over. from the game fall camp's over we 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 skipped over all that stuff. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, stay tuned to the West of Everest Facebook page. We'll try to provide some updates when we can. But uh, good to be back. Hopefully, you all enjoyed this show. And, uh, you know, like, like always, we appreciate your support. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also... Tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.